That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. We have a lot to talk about on today's show, and I want to hear from you right off the top of the show. Pete Carroll, out as Seahawks coach after 14 seasons. Was it the right move? Is it the right move for the Seahawks to pivot? Carroll yesterday coming out, talking about all the energy that he's got, all the enthusiasm he's got today, gone. Nick Saban, Alabama coach. All Nick Saban did was win and win and win and win, and then college football changed. NIL, transfer portal. We heard Nick Saban talking a lot like... uh, you know, a guy who has one foot, and, you know, as he was talking about the changing landscape, is Nick Saban just trying to get out on top? Does it mean that Alabama's no longer a premier job? Or is Dan Lanning, rumored to be the target by some out there, is Dan Lanning's commitment and his verbal pledge to Oregon fans and the University of Oregon, are they about to get the test? 503 417 7575 is the phone number. I want your phone calls. What was your reaction? And you know these things always happen in threes. Pete Carroll, Nick Saban. Anybody checked on Bill Belichick yet? Steven, is Bill Belichick is Belichick fired yet? As far as I know, no, but it seems like it would make a lot of sense, John. And then they could do a little three team swap. That's my that's my theory. Kalen DeBoer, the Washington coach, uh, has to be somebody that the Seahawks could look at 14 seasons pete carroll out 10 playoff appearances franchises lone super bowl championship jody allen jody allen where does she fit into this mess jody allen the team owner or the acting owner trustee said in a statement that the decision was made after thoughtful meetings and careful consideration for the best interest of the franchise thoughtful and careful not two words that i would use to describe Jody Allen and her uh, tenure as the Blazers and Seahawks uh, executive and owner. Uh, emotional farewell news conference today for Pete Carroll. Got emotional talking about his wife, talking about uh, you know the uh, the uh, the the tenure that he had in Seattle. Um, you know he basically spun it in a way that Seahawks fans can be proud of. Since our uh, our last game. Um, I had a couple chances to uh, to talk, and, and uh, first I shared um, my feelings about uh, about our team, and uh, about the organization, and representing the twelves, and my intentions of staying with the Hawks, man, and that um, that was uh, true to the bone, and uh, I want to make sure that that's that's clear as things have shifted so quickly in, in most people's perspective. Uh, it's been an honor and a thrill to be part of this program. And uh, I've loved every minute of it. And uh, you've watched me love it, <laughs> in particular. Um, 
and it's 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 exciting that that there's such a future uh, uh, here, and and you can see it, and we, we know what's happening, and, and uh, it's bright, and the club's got great places to go, and there's great chances. It don't ever happen automatically. There's a lot of work to be done, and all of that, but the future is bright. Does Kalen DeBoer, the University of Washington coach who just played for a national championship on Monday night in Houston, does he become a candidate? Where does Jody Allen fit into this equation? Because I think she's an important player and an important figure. We'll be all around that on today's show. We'll talk with Brian Berger of Sports Business Radio coming up in about 20 minutes about you know what he knows and what he sees. Plus, Tiger Woods walking away from Nike, separating from Nike. Berger broke that news on Sunday. Uh, we'll talk with him coming up at 324. Later in the show, uh, we're going to go down to uh, Southern California, where Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, the guy in Southern California when it comes to the Chargers, the Los Angeles Chargers looking for a coach, um, is it possible that uh, that Jim Harbaugh becomes a candidate in multiple places? And what do you make of the Alabama job? We have so much to talk about. I want your reaction. Are you concerned about Dan Lanning? I'm not that concerned, and I'll tell you why. I, you know, I, I was all day long. I've been thinking about talking about writing about NIL collective big bodies. Yes, the SEC footprint has more big bodies, more defensive tackles. Yes, Dan Lanning's got some tie to that conference. No, Dan Lanning did not go to Alabama, didn't play there, didn't graduate from school there. Even if Alabama targets him, I still expect that Oregon's NIL collective and those three kids of his who are enrolled in school in Eugene, little different equation there, uh, will play a role in what Dan Lanning does next. You heard him earlier this year talk about his loyalty to Oregon. It could be tested here. Let's go to the phone lines. Don is in Tigard. He's going to start us off. We've got a line open at 417-7575. Don, go ahead. Yeah, definitely uh, tested if uh, he goes. I mean, he's a good personality. I mean, Dan Lanning has a great, likable personality. Pete Carroll, I'm telling you, there's not going to be another personality like him where you you just love listening to him after the game, you know, and uh, his reactions on, you know, scores and this and that, it's just, I hope we don't get a bummer of a coach that is just dry and, you know, just can't really listen to after the game when he gives his uh, after-the-game speeches. Yeah, but did you hear him? I mean, he got emotional. And then he, you know, he was talking about, you know, clearly he wanted to be there. Clearly this is more of a uh, forceful push out the door for Pete Carroll. Hey, we'll keep him with the organization, but he's not going to be the head coach. I've been blessed with, like, the rarest of best friends and uh, mentor, um, loving partner, the angel in my life. <laughs> this is worth crying for. Glenn, <laughs> uh, nobody would ever understand how significant She's been through all of the stuff that we've been through and uh, how important she is. As, a, as She's just been the angel in my life and I owe you everything. There's Pete Carroll talking about his wife. I want your reaction to that and Nick Saban. Same, very same day. We got Saban. We got Pete Carroll. We all know that there's a uh, potential here for uh, the next move to be Bill Belichick. But I also think a lot of Oregon fans probably immediately thought, about Dan Lanning and his commitment to Oregon. And I'm sure that Washington fans are right now are looking at Kalen DeBoer going, hey, wait a minute, 
is this a guy that Alabama could come after? Now, Alabama Athletic Director Greg Byrne, he is a friend of this show. I know him well. I reached out to him right after I heard the news. I'm sure he's getting uh, bombarded by people who are reaching out to him trying to figure out what's going on with Alabama football. I wanted to know if he was surprised by this because I, I have to think that Nick Saban uh, signaled this to his athletic director at some point. Let's go to the phone lines. Charlie in Vancouver. Charlie, welcome. Thanks, John. If you if Seahawks don't have either lined up one of those two coaches that was in the national championship, I think they think they made a huge mistake. If they're looking to the future and they got one of those special, special coaches, one of those two guys, maybe it's a decent move. Otherwise, I think it's a terrible move. Um, and as far as the Alabama thing, I think you've mentioned it in the past. A great college job in the past was a lot better and a lot easier than a great pro job in the past or right now. But that's not the case anymore with, again, all the things that have entered, the transfer portal, NIL. They've really evened things out, whereas in the past, if you were Alabama's coach, you knew you were going to have the best defensive line in the country and probably the best offensive line in the country, same as Georgia and you know a couple other teams that we could name. Uh, so I think that those are the, the real things that uh, kind of influence these decisions. I can't blame Saban for walk away, walking away. It, landscape being different, wow. I mean, 100% different. I wouldn't want to coach college football now. Yeah, I think, you know, even this morning, I wrote a piece today at johnconzano.com about the physicality of the Big Ten Conference and the SEC. Three Pac-12 teams, you know, since Oregon appeared in the 2011 National Championship game, three Pac-12 teams have played for the national title. Oregon in 2011, Oregon in 2015, and, of course, Washington on Monday night. All three of those teams got dominated at the line of scrimmage. Statistically, Washington just got run all over by Michigan. For people watching the game, I mean, it was glaring to watch, you know, 303 rushing yards for Michigan, 46 for Washington. I mean, that's that said the story of the game. But you go back to 2011 when Oregon played in the national championship game against Auburn, Oregon got outrushed badly in that game as well. The Ducks got outrushed in that game uh, to the tune of, um, uh, you know, to by Alabama by more than uh, Auburn by more than a two to one equation. It was uh, 254 rushing yards for Auburn, 75 for Oregon, so three to one. And then in 2015, Oregon played Ohio State for the national title. Really good team, Marcus Mariota at quarterback. The Ducks got out outrushed 296 yards to 132. Quick math: 853 rushing yards. For, you know, Auburn, Ohio State, and Michigan, and 253 rushing yards for the Pac-12 teams. They got outrushed by 600 yards in three games. It's astounding. But it really does come back to your ability now in today's world with name, image, likeness, and the premium put on defensive tackles and offensive linemen. It comes back to your ability to buy guys. And I reached out to Chip Kelly as I was reporting the piece, and I said to him, you know, hey, after you lost to Auburn, people might remember Nick Fairley and Auburn, you know, pushed pushed Oregon around on the field. I said, you know, did you go out and you and be were you intentional about recruiting bigger guys? Because you may remember 
Oregon got DeForest Buckner, 6'7", 300 pounds. Got Eric Armstead, 6'8", 290. Giant guys. And put them on the defensive line, and they got you know to the Rose Bowl. They beat Florida State. They got in the national title game. They lost to Ohio State. But Oregon was a much more physical team that second time around. I said, was that intentional? I mean, it feels like a dumb question. You, of course you want to recruit your the biggest and the best linemen you can get, but was it intentional to try to get more size on the offense and the defensive line? Or is that just common sense? And Chip Kelly just basically said, hey, quote, big people beat up little people, end quote. And then I told him, I said, Chip, I didn't put this in the piece. I just said, Chip, you know, now go out at UCLA and go get a bunch of big guys and tell them, hey, come play at UCLA and, uh, and get yourself into good weather. And Chip Kelly's response to that was golden. He says, NIL defeats weather. Think about that. Name image likeness defeats everything. It defeats geography. It defeats weather. And I can't help but thinking if it has defeated Nick Saban on a on a week where, you know, you know, you think he Alabama would be sitting pretty, is Nick Saban looking around going, I can't compete in this new world. I wonder how much that has to do with it. Let's go to Bruce in Portland. Bruce has been holding. Bruce, welcome. John, hey, welcome back from Houston. I understand you had a memorable trip. Yeah, um, yeah. airlines, hey, yes. Yeah. You know, regarding Pete Carroll, I mean, he had a great run up there. The guy did a lot for Seattle. But, you know, I think Seahawks fans over the last couple of years have, you know, been all talking about how his system's kind of stale. It's time for a change. Um, and, you know, as we say all the time, be careful what you wish for because here it comes. So, um, and then as soon as the uh, saving news hit the wire, man, all my duck friends are like, uh-oh, watch out for landing, watch out for landing. You know, I don't think, as you do, that landing's going anywhere. He's got a good deal here in Oregon. And with the NIL system, like some of your previous callers have said, the whole landscape in college football has changed. It's NIL, it's Portal, it's one and done's now. It, it's just crazy, you know, what, what, how the college football scene is changing. Um, Dan's got a good gig going here. He's got a contender recruited for next year. I mean, if you look at all the guys coming back, you know, and what his next 24 or 25 class is coming in, I mean, he, the future's bright, I think, for Oregon. And like you said, with big guys, Cristobal, I think, is the one who kind of started that philosophy. You know, you've got to give him a little bit of credit for starting the recruiting of big guys because he came from the SEC. He came from that school of thought. Um, and look at what happened, like you said, to Washington. Michigan's defensive line averaged like 320 pounds, man. Those guys were massive. And that's just the way lines are going now. And I think Oregon's in the toughest conference in the country. I think Alabama is kind of a – you know, yeah, that used to be a great school to go coach for. It still is. But I think the landscape's changing. The, the fields get more level. And I think the big 18, as I'm going to call it now, is probably the toughest conference in the country. There you go. Big 18. Big 10. <laughs> it was the Big 11 when I was covering it back in 1998. Uh, Penn State had joined. Um, a lot of good points there from Bruce, and I think a lot of people are sorting through it. Stephen, i got to ask you, um, Nick Saban going, I'm looking at Nick Saban interview he did with Pat McAfee uh, right around the national championship game, and their season ended. And you know, here comes the national title game without Alabama. Um, you know, he's talking about essentially, um, you know, what what's good and what's bad for college football. Well, because I'm getting old, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you look good, though, coach. You look good. 
Look, I, I ask everybody that asks me that question, you know, are you going to be here for four years? You know, some player that asks me, you know, when are you going to retire? I look at them and say, well, can you guarantee me that you're going to be here for four years? And they look at me like, you know, hell no, I'm not making that. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, get a better deal someplace else. So, uh, and I just think it's the way of the world now uh, that, you know, college football has changed dramatically, especially in the last three or four years. And, Roster management, guys getting in the portal, um, pay for play is uh, definitely alive and well. I mean, name, image, and likeness has really become pay for play. Um, as soon as you allow collectives to be a part of uh, what you're allowed to give to a player. And, and look, I'm all for improving the quality of life of players. Uh, I think they do a lot for the university, uh, and I think they should be compensated in some way for that. Um, but I also think there needs to be some kind of competitive balance associated with um, who spends what, what you can pay a player. Does anybody have a contract um, that obligates them to do things? Because, you know, what happened in the Florida State-Georgia game, oh. and, you know, Kirby, this happened to him a few years ago when they played Texas, is you got all these guys opt out of the game. It's not good for college football. It's not good for bowl games. It's not good for fans. It's not good for college football. So that's Nick Saban one week ago. Uh, not shock after you hear that to think he went, you know what, this isn't for me anymore. Stephen, what do you make of Nick Saban? Yeah, I mean, it, this you know, you look at college basketball as well. You know, Jim Beheim retires. A lot of these older coaches are retiring. Coach K, because the game has changed and college sports has changed and college football, especially. You know, it's the big business that it is. And I think what Nick Saban's saying is, you know, what, it's it's kind of a young man's game. Like I'm not, I don't want to go out there and have to, you know, negotiate how much money people want to get to come to my school. Like, I'm Alabama. I should just be able to recruit you and get you to Bama and not have to have pay you, you know, millions of dollars when I haven't even seen you play on the college level. Or if it is a transfer portal thing, you know, you got to pay them that much money as well. So I think it's one of those things, John, where it's a young man's game, especially in the college game. And, and these guys, if they want to continue coaching, it's going to be in the NFL. Like, I think that's why Jim Harbaugh wants to leave college to go to the NFL, make it more about actual coaching than it is the NIL stuff. Um, but, yeah, you know, you listen to that quote, that clip right there of Saban Ton McAfee, and it makes a lot of sense why he left when he did leave. Um, and I'll, I'll be honest, my first thought when I saw Saban retire, John, I texted you, I said, landing to Bama? Like, I don't know if it's a real thing, but that was my initial thought because you know Dan Lanning and uh, you know how good he's been as a recruiter. He has ties to the Alabama program. He was a he was a GA there. He was just on ESPN for the college football playoff. Like he's getting his face out there. People know who he is. People like what he's done. What he you know what is what he's about. That was my first thought. I don't know if it's true or not, but I'll be honest. That was my first initial thought when I saw Saban retiring. Oh man, here we go again with an Oregon coach leaving to go to a new school. I look at Oregon's collective. If you are going to be playing in this world of NIL, Oregon among the four teams that are leaving the Pac-12 to go to the Big Ten, Oregon I think is the most ideally suited to be able to recruit the kind of offensive and defensive linemen that it will take to get by Michigan, to get by Ohio State, and to compete for a national championship. I think UCLA's in real trouble. I think Washington could be in real trouble. I don't know if it's sustainable what Kalen DeBoer has. And for that reason... I'm looking more at Washington and Kalen DeBoer as a flight risk. Doesn't have his AD anymore. Uh, he just played for a championship. Michael Penix is leaving. Like, if you're Kalen DeBoer and you're buying and selling stocks, this might be a good time to sell if you're Kalen DeBoer. The only hang-up I have there is the fact that he told me on media day, just this last July, his daughter's coming in to Washington as a softball player. He'd like to be coaching there. 
be able to walk across campus, see his kid play softball. Literally from the football coaching offices, you can look down at Washington. You can see the side of the softball complex. Kalen DeBoer has his whole world in one place. I don't know. Does that give him pause? I think it's a really interesting question. And I'll be honest, when I saw Pete Carroll leaving the Seahawks, I had two thoughts. Like, one, Jody Allen's role. And then, two, I wondered if Kalen DeBoer, if that's an easier transition for him, because he gets to stay in Seattle, gets to continue to see his daughter play, I wonder if that's easier. Let's go to the phones. Jake's in Happy Valley. Jake, welcome to the show. John, this is a disaster, my man. This is an absolute disaster. Um, you know, I, I agree with you 100%. The young man's game, all that stuff you said about Nick Saban and, and him being out. Um, at this point, I'm beginning to see the writing on the wall of maybe Matt Carney writing that Chip Don't Go song about Dan. Um, if you're if you're landing, it's hard to, hard to turn down Alabama and that pedigree and getting out of the Big Ten, which I think is a more competitive conference than the SEC at this point. I'm, I'm interested to see how it goes down you know when it comes to dan lanning i'm curious to see how this all unfolds because he was so strong in his comments you know not that long ago and he you know he's talked to multiple people about his desire to stay at oregon we'll kick that around with brian Berger, sports business radio nick saban out uh pete carroll the role of jody allen i'm gonna ask Berger about that is jody Rolling up her sleeves, is she about to do to the Seahawks what she did to the Trailblazers? Uh, I think she uh, derailed the franchise by trying to trying to make moves. Also, we'll talk about Tiger Woods and Nike, the split in that sneaker world. Brian Berger, Sports Business Radio, next. Remember when Dan Lanning was asked about you know the job at Oregon State and this, how special it was and. How he's committed to the University of Oregon. I mean, he was resolute. Yeah, we talk about outside noise a lot in our program. Um, I guess the reality here is one: our, our my name and uh, our program would never be in the, a topic of conversation for another school if, if we didn't have something here that everybody else wanted. And the reason we have something here uh, that everybody else wants that's because of what our players, our coaches, the support that exists here at Oregon have created. I think I've been really, really clear here since day one. Uh, everything I want exists right here. I'm not going anywhere. There's zero chance that I would be coaching somewhere else. Um, I've got unfinished business here. There's a lot that I want to accomplish uh, here at Oregon. My number one priority is being elite um, here at Oregon. And we have the resources, the tools. Um, anybody that can't understand why you would want to be here at this place doesn't understand exactly what exists here, right? Like what I've said before, with a 13-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a 10-year-old, to be able to raise your uh, family in a community like this, to be able to compete for uh, championships and have the ability to get the resources you need. You know, a lot of coaches hang on to these moments and they don't do anything or don't say anything. One, because they don't want egg on their face when they decide to do something else, right? Two, because they're concerned about things that I'm not concerned about, like getting a better contract. Like I'm taken care of extremely well here at Oregon. I have the resources I need here at Oregon to be really, really successful. I'm not motivated by that. I'm motivated by winning. I'm motivated by being elite here. Um, and our players deserve my complete focus. Uh, our fans deserve the best uh, product on the field. So it's outside noise. It didn't matter before. It doesn't matter now. I'll continue to say it till I'm blue in the face. I want to be here at Oregon. Uh, that hasn't changed. That won't change. There's Dan Lanning. He says it won't change. Brian Berger, Sports Business Radio, is our guest. We got a lot to talk about. Berger, let's start with Lanning 
Nick Saban's opening. What was your reaction when when you heard uh, Nick Saban was out? Hi, John. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm not that surprised. So, what, Saban is 72. Um, I just had the commissioner of the SEC, Greg Sankey, on my show a few weeks ago, and it's never been tougher to coach in the big boy conferences, the SEC and the Big Ten. You're playing tough teams every week. You've got uh, NIL. You've got the transfer portal. A bunch of guys from Alabama jumped in the portal after the Rose Bowl. I just don't know that Saban wanted to go through that anymore, and I'm sure the networks will line up to give him a big check like Tom Brady got, and it's probably a much easier life going forward than uh, trying to be a coach in the SEC. Is Alabama a better job than Oregon, given NIL driving so much of this? I think so. I think the SEC is the top conference in America. Um, I, if you gave me the SEC versus the field in the next 10 years for the college football champion, I'm taking the SEC every year. Um, so I think Alabama is the best job in college football and they've got incredible facilities. You know, the problem for getting Dan Lanning is I think his buyout is $20 million. So are you going to pay $20 million just to, you know, get him to your campus? and then have to pay him an incredible amount of money on top of that. That's what Alabama is going to have to ask themselves. Brian Berger, Sports Business Radio. These things always go in threes. You see uh, Pete Carroll out in Seattle. I'm wondering about Bill Belichick. Is he the third domino? But let's uh, let's focus on Pete Carroll for a second. Jody Allen, Burt Cold. Uh, I, I can't help but think about the parallels with the Trailblazers here and and I'm wondering about, you know, heavy-handed ownership. What What is going on in Seattle? I just think, you know, look, I've said this before on your show. The only reason Jody Allen is in the position that she's in is because she was Paul Allen's sister. He had no other relatives to leave his estate to, and he didn't leave his estate to her. She's the trustee. And as I tweeted out today, I think he's rolling over in his grave. I don't think this is what Paul wanted. Um, I think Paul would have kept Pete Carroll. Um, I just don't think that she has any qualifications to make the decisions that she's making. And unless Pete came to her and said, you know, I don't want to be here anymore, I don't know why she would make this change. I listened to Pete's press conference today. He doesn't sound like he's done coaching. And if you've been around Pete Carroll like I have and I've had him on my show – He's the most youthful 73-year-old I've ever seen. And I would have kept him there for at least three or four more years, let him coach. Uh, he's the one who handpicked John Schneider and brought him in, so Schneider's still staying. Unless you tell me that they are convinced that Dan Quinn, who used to be there, is their guy, and they're going to miss out on him in this cycle, and that they have to have him, that's the only thing that would make sense. But frankly, I don't know that Jody and Bert are that smart. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that sentiment. Um, I just I'm wondering about Jody. She's now being referred to as the owner of the Seahawks. There's part of me that wants to insert the word trustee in there when I read that. Yeah, she's not the owner. She's the trustee. Paul Allen did not leave the Seahawks and the Blazers to his sister. He didn't say, "Hey, you're you know." It's not like um, where you see succession plans where. Uh, you know, Dr. Jerry Buss dies and he leaves the Lakers to Jeannie and the kids. That is not what happened here. He, you know, Jody is the trustee. And again, um, you know, 
I said this on these airwaves before. Burt Cold won the college roommate lottery by being Paul's roommate at Washington State. Jody won the genetic lottery by being related to Paul. That is the only qualification that those two have to be in the position that they're in. And as someone who worked for the Blazers for a long time, I'm really disappointed to see the decisions that have been made. Jody hasn't made a statement or done an interview since Paul died. There's no vision that's being shared. It's it's like a mad scientist running these two franchises. Brian, I am watching this and trying to figure out, you know, is there a positive here? Is it a bigger risk for an NFL franchise or an NBA franchise when you see someone like Jody and not an owner who's vested kind of behind the scenes working the, uh, you know, the dials in orchestrating things? I think NFL. NFL is king. Um, you know, huge ratings. The franchise is worth a lot more money than an NBA franchise. And, you know, you look at this cycle and it's like the game of musical chairs. I mean, Jim Harbaugh is on the market. Pete Carroll's on the market. Belichick might be on the market. Mike Vrabel is on the market. You've got some really good offensive and defensive coordinators like Dan Quinn on the market. You've got to be really smart and you've got to act quickly in this cycle because if not, it's the game of musical chairs and you're left without a chair at the end. And again, I don't know that the Seahawks and Jody Allen and Burt Cold know what they're doing here. And again, if you listen to Pete Carroll's press conference today, he did not sound like a guy that's ready to ride off into the sunset. I think he's going to try and get another job in the NFL. Yeah, and I think, you know, he's such a uh, energetic guy, even for his age. You know, I, th- I still think he's got something left in the tank. What's the right kind of hire for the Seahawks as you look at, is, you know, is it a college coach like Jim Harbaugh, Kalen DeBoer? Is it someone else? Do you go to an NFL coach? What do you do if this, you're the Seahawks? I think it's Dan Quinn. I really do. Um, you know, the problem is you've got to feel real confident you're going to get him. The Cowboys are in the playoffs. You know, how soon can they get permission to speak with him? I think he's ready to jump in as a head coach. He's turned down jobs the last two years. You know, obviously he was with Legion of Doom. He's been a head coach with the Falcons. This is the perfect job for him. He knows the culture in Seattle. So I think he would be the guy. But if they miss out on him, you know, do you try and get in on Mike Vrabel? But Vrabel is also going to be targeted by – the Patriots, if they part ways with Belichick and by other teams like the Washington Commanders, there's seven openings right now. So you got to act quickly if you're going to get your person. Yeah, and I think you've got the carousel turning in college football just when you thought the season was over, and now uh, the carousel turning in the NFL, so to speak. Um, Brian, I got to ask you too. You know, we have Tiger Woods. You broke the news on Sunday. Nike and Tiger Woods ending that partnership. As you examine that, uh, what caused that, and what do you make of that 24-year run uh, You know, with Nike and Tiger? Well, so 27 years, John, and you know, one of the most uh, synonymous partnerships in all of sports. You, know, you see Tiger and Nike, and they go hand-in-hand, hand, much like Michael Jordan and Nike have, and I think Tiger is one of the two most important athletes that Nike's ever had, along with Michael Jordan, but Nike clearly is getting out of the golf business. Um, They parted ways with Jason Day as well. Um, You know, one of the things that a lot of people may not realize is it used to be that Nike was built on chasing the elite athlete and building around the athlete, marketing the athlete. 
And a few years ago, they changed from basketball, football, golf, tennis, running to men's, women's, and children. There's no more sports categories. So they don't have as much emphasis on the elite athlete being the driving force behind selling product. They're more interested now in, you know, your teenager wants the latest pair of Nikes. They want to customize the colors. They want their name on them, and they want them to arrive at their doorstep the next day. So Nike has changed how they're doing business. I still would have kept Tiger. And frankly, John, one of the biggest reasons I would have kept Tiger is I want Charlie Woods. I think Charlie is going to be huge. And now that they've parted ways and gotten out of the golf business with Tiger, you know, you probably lost out on Charlie as well. So um, I reported that I think Tiger's going to on running, which is where Roger Federer went in uh, 2018. He got 3% of the company for $300 million. Tiger probably gets a similar deal, but there will be other companies like TaylorMade um, and some other startups that I'm sure will aggressively pursue Tiger. But, you know, as someone who's lived here for a long time and um, we're in the backyard of Nike, it was sad for me to see Tiger and Nike part ways, but I get it, it's business. Brian Berger, Sports Business Radio, with us. It is business, and you kind of look at the endorsement world, right? You got Tiger and Hello World and the campaign. You go back to Jordan's uh, campaign as well. How have endorsement deals changed over the years as you examine them? I think the biggest difference is it used to be, you know, you were Jordan or Tiger or any athlete, and you held up the McDonald's hamburger, the Nike shoes, and you got paid X for doing that spot. Now the athletes want equity in the company that they're working with. They want to be part owners of growing the business. And, you know, I think that's what's going to be important to Tiger in this next deal. Obviously, Jordan is the only athlete I know of at Nike who got equity on his line. He makes a reported $330 million a year himself for his deal with the Jordan brand. Um, Obviously, it didn't seem like Nike was going to go to that level with Tiger because they're not in the club and ball business, and they didn't think he would drive enough sales with uh, apparel. So, you know, now he's probably going to go to a company like On, like Federer did, and these athletes want equity in the companies. They're like, hey, if you're going to use my name, image, and likeness, I don't want to just be paid a flat fee for that. I want to be part of growing the business, and I want future revenues as well. Yeah, and I think, you know, you go back to that scene in that Nike Air Jordan movie where, you know, Dolores Jordan is saying to uh, Sonny Vaccaro and uh, and uh, and Phil Knight, you know, it's 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 just a shoe until my kid puts his foot into it. And, you know, then it's an Air Jordan after that. Uh, Brian Berger with us, Sports Business Radio. Um, you know, we're watching a cycle of coaches, NFL NIL, kind of a generation of coaches cycle out. If Belichick does, in fact, go and he's the next, uh, you know, it's it's become a young man's game, so to speak. What do you make of that? And, you know, the qualities now that you see in a young head coach maybe being different than the process we used to see back in the day. So I'm going to use a great example of another coach that was in the news in the last 24 hours. Coach Spolstra, you know, he's from Portland. Uh, he's a friend. Coach Spo just got $120 million from the Miami Heat, largest contract in the history of North American sports for a coach. He does it the right way. He's created a culture there in Miami. He has good relationships with the players. He develops young players that are on the scrap heap that no one else wants. 
I think that's what you're looking for in a coach now, whether it's basketball, football, or anything else. You want someone who could build relationships. There's a lot of, uh, you know, psychology that goes into coaching now, a lot of mental health that goes into coaching. It's so much more than just X's and O's, and it's building that bond, and you want the players to eventually, you know, run through the wall for you like they do for Coach Spo in Miami. So I think he's a great example of, you know, what a modern coach looks like. Yeah, and I think, too, it's hard to watch what's happening and not think about the money that's that's driving it all. The overall health of the leagues, Berger, you're tuned into this with Sports Business Radio. Seems like Adam Silver's done some good things in the NBA. Of course, Roger Goodell going international, trying to double the number of games that they'll play overseas next year. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of talk in college athletics about what's next. Big 12's going into Mexico, trying, trying to create a bowl game. Uh, the overall health of the eco, the sports ecosystem. Where do you see the healthiest arms of this of this ecosystem being? Well, NFL is going to continue to be king. You know, the thing that drives most of it, John, is the media rights money, right? So it's billions of dollars. You know, you look at the NBA right now. I just had Adam Silver on last month, and you know their media rights deal is in negotiation right now. And that's going to be really important for the future of their league, not only for exposure, you know, not only in America, but globally, but how much money can they get? And right now, if you look at the market, you know, the NFL did their deal a few years ago. College football playoff is trying to do their deal right now. SEC just did a big deal. Fox did a big deal with the big 10. Like there's only so much money to go around. So, is it going to dry up at some point? And is there going to be a league that's left kind of going, wow, we really didn't get what we thought we were going to get from the media rights. That's the thing that drives most of it. Um, you know, live sports is still the number one draw on TV. 115 million people watched last year's Super Bowl. You're not going to find an audience like that on the planet for something else that's on TV. So that's why you see these media rights being what they are. But really, that's the driving factor for everyone. I also am kind of looking at, you know, is there a is there bandwidth limits here? Because you're watching college football try to be more like the NFL, or literally it wants to be the NFL light. Um, and obviously the NFL now playing games, you know, going to creep into Saturday. Expanded playoff could creep into the NFL season. Do you see a ceiling here, Brian, where – Maybe, um, you know, the, the media rights revenue isn't there as they negotiate new deals, or maybe the attention span of the consumer is challenged. What do you see as sort of the limitations as everybody's trying to capture new revenue and new eyeballs? I mean, there's definitely limitations, right? That's why we don't have the Pac-12 anymore. They didn't have media rights money. And, you know, there were other factors, as you know better than anyone, John, but you know, if there had been a big media rights deal, the Pac-12 would probably still be in existence. But the money is going to dry up at some point. You know, the other big piece of the pie when you're looking at revenues for these leagues and the teams is sports gambling. There's about 30 states right now in the U.S. that have legal sports gambling. It's a big reason the Dallas Mavericks just sold. They think that sports gambling is going to come to Texas. It's going to be legalized. They're going to be able to build you know, a casino in downtown Dallas. So the gambling is also going to drive a lot of this and who can get the gambling money. Um, so 
those are the two big things, gambling money and sports media rights. But there's only so much of it to go around. So it is going to be interesting to see who gets it and who doesn't. Yeah, and I kind of look at, you know, the NBA, Mark Cuban's getting out of the game. Do you make sense of Cuban getting out? He must know something that we don't know, either that gambling is going to be legalized in Texas soon and he can maximize his value and still, you know, retain uh, basketball operations control. But, you know, there's something there that we don't know yet as to why he did this. Um, You know, I don't buy that it's because he's running for a political office or something. But, you know, John, that's why some of these people are really smart. They, They see the tea leaves or they see around corners before others do and they get out at the appropriate time. And, you know, I think Nick Saban is getting out at the appropriate time. Mark Cuban probably getting out at the appropriate time. You know, we'll see what Bill Belichick decides to do. But, you know, they have lots of information that we don't have access to in order to make informed decisions. All right. The uh, the, the hires that are open, you know, you've got the Seahawks looking for a coach. you got Alabama looking for a coach. Which one of those two is more intriguing to you from a media standpoint as you're kind of watching uh, this unfold? Wow. That's a hard one. I mean, a lot of people think, you know, that we're buried up in the Pacific Northwest and Seattle's certainly in that category. So I might lean Alabama. And and I think with the new SEC deal with ESPN and the increased exposure for the SEC, and like I said earlier, I think Alabama is the top job in college football. Um, I'll throw another name out there, and I don't think his buyout's nearly as big as some of the other coaches, but, you know, Lane Kiffin was there, and he's at Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. And he knows the culture at Alabama. And, boy, has he done a good job uh, wherever he's gone for the most part. I know, you know, he, he had some maturity issues earlier in his career, but he's a darn good coach. And, you know, he's someone that I would talk to if I was Alabama as well. There you go. Brian Berger, Sports Business Radio. You can check him out on social media as well, at SB Radio on Twitter. Brian Berger, thank you for joining us, man. Good stuff. Thanks, John. Always enjoy our conversations. Have a great day. There he goes, Brian Berger. Coming up, our big splash at 4 o'clock. You're going to want to be here. Lee Hacksaw Hamilton joining us from Southern California. Flashy stuff going on in sports today. Um, It's never boring, right? It's supposed to be a diversion today. It definitely is a diversion. Pete Carroll is out as the Seahawks coach after 14 seasons. Uh, breaking news there. He uh, possibly could end up in the front office. Now Nick Saban is retiring uh, after, uh, you know, seven national titles, six of them at Alabama. Uh, you've got, uh, you know, a bunch of news going on in other elements and other parts of the uh, of the uh, country and, and the world of sports. And that, of course, brings us to our big splash. The Big Splash! Brought to you by Killer Burger. Voted best burger five years in a row. Killer Burger's 10 rad burger builds will send your taste buds on an epic journey. Killer Burger, the burgers your mama warned you about. Well, I I gotta say that the, the, the splashier thing was, it felt to me like Alabama and Nick Saban one upped Pete Carroll and the Seattle Seahawks. The Carroll thing we all kind of wondered how much longer he would coach how much more time he had but i always thought it would be Pete carroll's decision 
to leave Seattle. Doesn't seem to be, as he uh, made it clear that he was energized and felt like he was engaged and feels like he has more to offer. But uh, Alabama and Nick Saban now parting ways. Saban, widely considered to be among the greatest college football coaches of all time, six national titles at Alabama, seven overall. He's retiring. He's walking away. He's getting out of the game. You decide which one's more uh, bigger and splashier. I'll take your phone calls at 503-417-7575. Kalen DeBoer to the Seahawks or somewhere else? Contract extension? I don't know. Eric in Albany. Go ahead, Eric. Welcome. Hey, John. Just wanted to comment on the whole Alabama opening. You know, I'm a lifelong Duck fan, and it would I would hate to see Lanning leave after these couple years. He's been building something so special, and he's so likable. And I watched that press conference when they asked him if he had intentions of leaving or anything like that, and he just seems like, he wants to be here. He wants to build something here. He wants to win the Natty here. I just, my gut tells me that he's not going anywhere, but the way that things are with coaches, it's just, you know, hard to say. And the other thing I wanted to bring up is why wouldn't Alabama go after Dabo Sweeney? I, I think he played at Alabama. Wouldn't he want to go back there? Yeah, I think that, you know, I think that's a natural thing to look at. I think also, you know, if you're a, uh, if you're an Alabama booster, you have to look outside that footprint, too, and try to find the next biggest thing. I, and I think Clemson's got problems in the ACC. We can clearly see it. There's some frustration there. But I'm just kind of wondering, like, you know, if Nick Saban is saying, this game isn't for me, that, you know, the transfer portal in NIL, this isn't for me, is Dabo the right guy? Because he has struggled at Clemson in this era of transfer portal and, uh, and the collective. Lee Hacksaw Hamilton is going to be joining us next. The longtime radio voice of Southern California is going to talk about the Chargers, the NFL coaching carousel, and we'll get his reaction to all of this. Who's the right head coach for Justin Herbert? That's the question uh, I was. I am left wondering. I talked to Hacksaw yesterday, and I said, hey, why not come on the radio show? He joins us next. I have a friend who grew up in Chula Vista, California. Die-hard San Diego Chargers fan back in the day. And I know in college that my buddy, who was from Chula Vista, idolized one Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. Sportscaster, radio show host, based in San Diego, California. Hacksaw and Hayworth, I think it aired Monday through Friday morning time on San Diego's Sports Leader. Hacksaw Hamilton. He's been on Sirius XM, called play-by-play for the NFL, Afternoon Drive in uh, San Diego on KLSD, Clear Channel, 17 years at Extra Sports 690. He knows what he's talking about when it comes to the NFL, Southern California. I called up Hacksaw yesterday. Because I was thinking about Jim Harbaugh, and I happened to be in the airport. Yes, I did. I was traveling, as you know, back from Houston in the national championship game, and I was thinking, you know, who would have their finger on the pulse of what's right for the Chargers? And Justin Herbert. Crying out loud, Justin Herbert in college? Three different head coaches. Mark Helfrich, Willie Taggart, Mario Cristobal. It's gone to the NFL. It's been the same, pretty much. 
for Justin Herbert. A lot of chaos in his life. Here's Lee Hawksaw Hamilton joining us from lovely San Diego. How are you, my friend? Hey, John. Thank you for the introduction. Uh, yeah, I've got my finger on the pulse of things. You know, I was a longtime voice of the Chargers on radio and then went to Seattle in that big story in the Pacific Northwest within the last hour or so, too. So, I mean, it is just absolute, utter chaos what we're trying to pay attention and cover. Uh, you know, you in Sports Talk Radio, me on TV, plus my website, plus my podcast. It's just absolutely stunning what has transpired in just the last three days since Black Monday, and it's it's only Wednesday this week. So, yeah, you want to start with the Chargers? You ask the questions, I'll give you answers and opinions. Let's start there. What you know the the end of an era, I guess. Uh, you know, in in San or in San Diego with the Chargers, I'm never going to stop thinking of them as San Diego's team. But an end of the era, nonetheless. Justin Herbert, as I mentioned, he's had nothing but chaos. What kind of coach should the Chargers be looking for, Lee? Organizationally, they have failed that quarterback. He is such a cool guy. He's so intellectual. He's got just unbelievable courage and they have not done a good job putting people around him there's so many layers to the problems with the chargers in los angeles right now that it would take a half hour to define them all but i'll just hit some bullet points uh, they, they've been ravaged by injuries three straight years uh, i felt bad for brandon staley i liked the general manager tom telesco they worked really hard to put a ton of athletes on the field, that roster, and they couldn't keep them on the field. Every time Herbert comes to a line of scrimmage, somebody else is wearing a different name tag because so many of the starters have been hurt. That's a huge issue. That's item one. Item two, John, they have a massive salary cap problem. Now, they're purported to be 40 to $60 million over the cap next year. This was supposed to be the year they had to make a statement and all the building would be completed and maybe be a playoff team, and even some people thought maybe it was good to be a Super Bowl team. They didn't even make the playoffs, the injuries. Now they now they got to deal with a cap, and they're going to have to chop people. And that, that could be Keenan Allen, their legendary wide receiver. It could be Mike Williams, the go-to big play guy. It could be Joey Bosa, who just can't stay healthy. So they got a massive cap problem. And then, obviously, you've got, you've got the issue – are you blowing up the staff? Kellen Moore came as the coordinator to try to fix everything that had been around uh, Justin Herbert, and they didn't They didn't succeed. Offensive line had a wretched season, could not run the football at all. Austin Eckler he was angry coming to camp, never got a contract extension. He's a walk-free agent. He, he had negligible contributions all season long, and this is a guy who played really, really well. And then you got the defensive side of the football, where they've just got a bunch of young athletes and they've just never been successful getting a game plan that these guys could cope with. It's just not a very competitive team, Kalumak notwithstanding, having a superstar season. So Justin Herbert is the last man standing, and they have so many problems, John, around him. It's a huge question. Now, to get to your question, what type of coach? You know, the Spanos family, they call themselves the first family of football. Can you believe that? team that's been to the Super Bowl one time in 35 years of ownership. Uh, there's some, some Their record, I think, is 314 and 346 since the Spanos has owned the team. And they, and they have the gall to call themselves the first family of football. You know, this is, this is an ownership group that fired a Hall of Fame general manager, Bobby Beathard, fired a Hall of Fame coach, Don Coriel, 
fired their Super Bowl coach, Bobby Ross, fired Marty Schottenheimer after he went 14-2. and two. So you trust Team Spanos to hire the right guy? Big issue. I think I, I think that most intriguing thing is, boy, there's a lot of hot names out there. But these guys want the authority to make player personnel decisions. Harbaugh's not coming to the Chargers to be a head coach. He wants everything to go through his office. And who's the president of football operations? Who's been the head of this mess? His last name is Spanos. His first name is John. You think father's going to fire son? That's a big issue. Uh, I think Harbaugh can pick and choose anywhere he wants to go. Now suddenly with Pete Carroll exiting Seattle, holy cow, if I were king, I'd be talking to him. Now granted, he comes from the defensive side of the football. There are so many quality guys out there that you can access. And we have not even mentioned Belichick as to whether or not he stays in New England or he goes somewhere else. And then obviously all the hot coordinators. I think the most unique aspect of this conversation when you talk about coordinators, are you willing to gamble again on a guy that's a coordinator who's never proven he could be a head coach? You know, the last three coaches they hired here were coordinators who had great track records and failed miserably from Brandon Staley to Anthony Lynn to Mike McCoy. Are you going to go, go back in that area? Are you going to go get Johnson in Detroit? Are you going to go get Frank Smith in Miami? Uh, and then, then there's the veteran guys. What's the difference between a guy given a second chance, a.k.a. Dan Quinn, uh, or Jim Schwartz, who have just a world of intelligence at what they do, What's the difference between a guy given a second chance versus a guy that some people would view as, oh, you just hired a retread? So there are so many layers to this story, and I've written columns about it, and if you examine it, you'll probably write a column with an opinion, too. This poor quarterback has just had no help at all to become a star, and it, it's stunning, John. His record is 30-32 and 32 as a starter in the NFL without a playoff victory. That's shocking. But he's young, making big money. They just they got to get the right guy, and they got to get the right group of players around him and keep those players healthy. And none of that has happened since Justin Herbert fell to them in the draft years ago. It's interestingly, and you know this, you've covered the league for a long time, and it seems to be in sports you see the same teams over and over struggling, and it points to ownership often. You mentioned the complication of a owner and a son who is the uh, you know the effective de facto general manager. Um, how big of a concern is that? In and is that a big is ownership a problem with the Chargers? Hell yes. Of course, you're asking somebody biased. Voice of the team for 13 years, loved this community. You know they turned their back on 55 years of loyalty and went to Los Angeles. Where, by the way, John, they're irrelevant. When anybody thinks L.A., first thought, Lakers. Second thought, the current employer of Otani, the Dodgers. Nobody's thinking Charger football. Uh, the Rams own that market, having been to the Super Bowl and seen Sean McVay now reinvent himself in the franchise with, with the win season, 10 win season they had this year. They're irrelevant up there. Uh, you go to a Charger home game, and you'll see so much color of the opponents fans i mean we've had games that look like a raider home game steelers came in here it was a sea of black and gold 
uh, 49ers, red everywhere in the stadium. Charger colors, by the way, are powder blue. I mean, so it's, it's absolutely stunning uh, what has happened. And I don't – you've dealt with a lot of great owners in the Northwest, and you've probably dealt with some bad owners. I don't know what it must be like to be a member of the Spanos regime, Spanos family, because they're so disliked. They're disliked to the, the point that the owner stands in the shadows in the owner's box – never part of the community, never speaks to the media. And his son went three years without talking to the media until they just cleaned house with the general manager, Telesco, and, and the head coach, Brandon Staley. First time in three years that John Spanos has talked, and he said a lot and he didn't say anything. If I had been at that press briefing, I think the final question would have been, John, you've overseen this now. You hired all these coaches. You hired that general manager whom you just fired. John, I know what your record is. Scoreboard does not lie. John, why do you still have a job? So that's that you're asking a biased person with opinions about this. But I feel bad for Justin Herbert at the end of the day because I think the organization has just failed him miserably. Can they fix it? Yeah, probably. Right guy. Very high draft pick. Very high second-round draft pick. But they got this massive salary cap problem, so it, it's not going to be easy to fix. And, again, now we're now we're dealing with who's going to be the general manager, who's going to have the authority. I think it's got to be somebody outside the last name Spanos, but I don't know that they'll they'll give the guy coming in the front door the opportunity to be the decision maker on player personnel. Lee Hacksaw Hamilton with us from Southern California. Nick Saban, Alabama coach, uh, uh, has uh, re- retired, um, and uh, you know is maybe not all that surprising given. Some of the comments he's made about the changing landscape, the sands shifting beneath his feet. Uh, you know, he's hearing more and more from disgruntled fans. NIL has leveled the playing field for some schools that are not in the SEC. Um, here's Saban, who was re- basically responding to a caller on his coach's radio show. Coach, how are you, sir? Well, B. We, I've been wanting to talk to you all week, man. I mean, we got to firm up the pocket. <laughs> We're setting too soft. We're getting pushed back in the middle. All right, everybody thinks we can't hold up against the blitz, but they're sacking us with four-man rush, one three-man rush. Only one sack came off of a pressure, so I wanted to ask you what the hell's going on. (laughs) I believe you covered it all right there, Coach. All right, that guy hanging it up. Did it surprise you, Lee, that Nick Saban is saying I've had enough? Uh, A, yes, at this point in time. B, no. Because I don't think he's any different than any other veteran coach, John, around the country. You know, we're based here in San Diego, San Diego State, Mountain West Conference. They've lost their top three veteran coaches at the end of this past fall. Brady Hoke removed San Diego State. Jeff Tedford steps aside Fresno. Craig Bull, who did an unbelievable job at Wyoming. Why did those veteran coaches walk away? Probably the same reason that uh, Saban has exited Tuscaloosa. They don't like the landscape of the business of college football right now. They detest the NIL. They dislike the transfer portal. It's just not the same game. And I think the veteran coaches have had a really tough time adjusting to it. And it's just not those three. You know, go across the state line. Yeah, you talk to Dabble Sweeney in Clemson. He dislikes what the game has become. So we're going through a changing of the guard of great veteran coaches stepping away because 
they don't want this this atmosphere to exist. And so the next guy coming in the door, it's going to be a very different method of operation. So, yeah, that was kind of surprised. But he is 72 years of age, and there's not a hell of a lot less left for him to accomplish. But uh, it, it's a different game than, than it was for him at Alabama and at Michigan State and way back at Toledo. I'm looking around sports, and you and your history, you've seen Major League Baseball, the NFL, the NBA, college sports, of course, and, you know, we're watching realignment affect college athletics and, you know, a lot of changes there. Um, college sports always felt different to me, Lee, than the pros, and it's starting to feel less and less that way. Do you think college athletics can find a landing spot where it gets some stability, or is it veering too close to the sun, or what do you see? Money is driving everything to the detriment of the sport. You know, John, I know you have written extensively about the death of the Pac-12, and I've talked about it down here and written on my website extensively about it. Uh, And there's got to be a way to control it. And I do think it's going to be changed. I think the landscape is going to change within a calendar year because Charlie Baker, the, the new head of the NCAA, is negotiating with Kansas for the NCAA to get antitrust exemptions. And if they get that, like baseball, like football, they get that exemption, they are going to then take control of the NIL, and they're going to reshape the transfer portal, and everything will be under their umbrella. Now, it's not going to happen next Monday, but I would bet a year from tonight, John, if we're talking, I think there will be something very different about how college operates, college football, for example, operates. You know, I was was sick that... USC and UCLA in the middle of the night left to go to the Big Ten, and I was absolutely floored that then what happened with with the Ducks and what happened with the Huskies and what happened with the corner schools, and that the Pac-12 was gone. Uh, you know, part of it was incompetence in the leadership of the Pac-12 presidents. Part of it might have been the incompetence in the league office. You know, but we just came through a fabulous football season. I called it, you know, Pac-12 farewell tour. It was the year of the quarterback, and the conference was just amazing to watch Saturday to Saturday, as witnessed by who got into the postseason, the playoffs, and then, hey, who was in the championship game? The Huskies. But I think things are going to change within a year, but the damage has already been done. You know, John, when you had 111 quarterbacks in the transfer portal within the first week, you got to be kidding me. It's 2,300 players total in the transfer portal, and all these guys are getting money. And there's tampering. I mean, it's it's amazing. We got parents calling schools, offering my son the left tackle. What's the price tag? I'll deliver him. We had an NFL type offensive tackle disappear at San Diego State, wound up at Ohio State. Family offered the kid to the school. It's happening everywhere. So they're going. They've got to go back and restructure everything as it relates to college football. I'm. I'm upset about it. I'm sad about it. I'm kind of enraged because I've, I've become a West Coast guy, and I just I think there was such history and such legacy to the Pac-12, whether you were an Oregon State Beaver or whether you rooted for the USC Trojans or whomever, and now to see this thing washed away, it, I think it's just terribly, terribly sad. San Diego State was this closely to to getting an invite to the Pac-12. Had the conference stayed together, San Diego State was coming in. I know they had their news release. You know, they were crafting it, and J.D. Wicker, the AD, was excited. The president was excited. Fans were excited. And then, 
nope, uh, more. And uh, Oregon State and Washington State now playing a lot of... What does San Diego State do? Where do they go from here, and where do they fit into that ecosystem? Well, I said a year from tonight, John, when we're doing the next phone interview, I think the NCAA will be operated very differently. I think two years from tonight, John, when you hook up with me again, I think Washington State, Oregon State, get through these next two seasons by themselves, and then the TV contracts expire, I think there will be a Pac-2 offer to take the top six teams from the Mountain West, because by that point in time, their TV contract will have expired, and there won't be any exit fees, and that, that, that's the big issue, is you can't, these schools cannot afford to pay $18 million or a $34 million exit fee so they can go to what would have been the Pac-12. I do think two years from tonight we'll be talking about a Pac-8, and I think it will encompass really good basketball program and maybe a football program that will be on the rise at San Diego State, uh, the resurgence of Boise State, whatever Fresno State looks like. They, you know, they will take six out of this conference, and there will be a Pac-8, and then maybe they add two more and get it to ten. But I think two years from tonight that's that's what's going to happen. All right, so in the short term – Chargers need to hire a coach. Lee, you've been around it. Do they get it right? Does Justin Herbert eventually get ownership that, that un, understands it, gets him a coach that lines up and, and a puncher's chance to, to win? Or do you think it's more of the same for Herbert in this era of Chargers football? Young man deserves to have a better situation around him. If you hire Harbaugh and you must give him the authority to change everything, then I think Justin Herbert has an opportunity to grow. If you hire, this is a reach, you hire Pete Carroll, that's a proven commodity. Those are the guys that I would call. I understand Ben Johnson in Detroit, and I understand Frankie Smith in Miami, but you've already traveled that road. You've got, you got proven commodities out there. I would love to see the Chargers make a run at one of those two guys. Yeah. My, my favorite comment down here in Southern California I hope Justin Herbert goes 17-0 because I have such regard for him as a person and a player. And I hope Dean Spanos goes 0-17 for what he did at 55 years of loyalty in San Diego to Charger fans because nobody here will ever, ever forgive him, even though a bunch of people here root for that kid quarterback to do well. Now, when you were on Extra Sports 690 in San Diego, 50,000-watt signal, John Lynch's dad, John Lynch Sr., uh, was running that station, wasn't he? Yes, John. John's from Chicago, and John wound up in San Diego, and John came and got me to be the be the first part, first uh, cornerstone of what would become an iconic all sports station, Extra Six Ninety, and be the voice of the Chargers. And you know, I, I saw Johnny Jr. grow up as a fine player, as a quarterback, and as a safety, and we tracked his career from what he became at, in high school to what he became at Stanford to what he became at Tampa Bay to what he became in the Pro Football Hall of Fame and now what he's become not just as a broadcaster on Fox but what he's done in the executive suite with the 49ers spectacular spectacular young man so it's just it's fun to see one of your own who you've tracked since he was geez 17 years old when I first got here and what he's evolved into so yeah we did a lot of great things in Sports Talk Radio, and geez, John Jr. has done a phenomenal job in San Francisco. Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, you're the best. We'll get you back on. Thanks for joining us. Hey, my pleasure. Continue to do a great job up there, John. We'll chat with you again in Oregon. Thank you. There he is, Hacksaw.
Stephen, uh, we're going to kick this around. I want calls as well. 503-417-7575. Pete Carroll to the Chargers? Does that fit for you? We'll unpack Dan Lanning and whether or not you should be worried as a Duck fan or maybe uh, rooting as an Oregon State fan. I've heard from some Oregon State fans today who say, hey, this would be great if Lanning left uh, Oregon for Alabama. But what do you make of what is going on today in sports? You had uh, Black Monday followed by... Uh, you know, a national championship game that night, and then uh, a little exhale. And now, uh, today, Pete Carroll out in in Seattle and Nick Saban apparently retiring in Tuscaloosa. What do you make of it? 503-417-7575. I guess the only thing that uh, is staying the same is that we've got uh, chaos in sports. You can always count on it to uh, create something to talk about. It's supposed to be a diversion, right? After all, uh, the cycles in sports are faster than life cycles. You outlive, and you out uh, your fandom outlives and and uh, outlasts coaches and general managers and players. And so you got Tiger Woods and Nike splitting up. You've got uh, Pete Carroll out in Seattle after 14 seasons. You've got. Nick Saban calling calling it good in Alabama. Uh, you've got um, you know a uh, a whole bunch of NFL coaches that are living in the now and you know probably won't be there in three or four years. And I think it's really interesting to kind of watch it all cycle through. And and here's the other thing: there there is a you know when I look at Alabama, Alabama has lived in an ecosystem. And lived with inherent advantages for decades. Alabama's got advantages. Playing in the SEC. Being Alabama. Mike Leach, two years ago, had a conversation with Leach. I asked him, what's the biggest difference between what you see in the Pac-12 back in the day at Washington State and what you're seeing now at Mississippi State? And he said, you know, it's the defensive linemen. It's the tackles. He said everybody's got five or six guys that are going to play in the NFL. And that's not the same as the Pac-12. Pac-12 doesn't have those guys. And that's a, that's a different thing. See, the geography of being in the South and being in the SEC footprint, highly populated footprint. Um, you know, you're, you're recruiting, recruiting Florida, you're recruiting Alabama, you're recruiting Louisiana, you're recruiting Texas. You've got, you know, a plethora of defensive tackles available to you. And then what, what the SEC schools like Alabama were doing is they were going out and they were finding the most talented skill position guys in the Pac-12 footprint or in the Pacific time zone and recruiting those guys. And Clemson was doing it too. And, and, and they were having success with that. Well, here comes name, image, likeness, and here comes the transfer portal. And the calculus has changed. Suddenly now there's some balance that's happening. And uh, and suddenly, you have you have uh, Alabama complaining. Nick Saban, I don't know if you noticed in the last two years, was complaining about the portal, was saying that the balance of college football is off, and he was sort of just indicating by waving his arms and talking that he knew that Alabama was losing its advantage slowly in some cases and not so slowly in others. And I kind of wonder when you look at what happened at Clemson in the last couple of years and what, you know, Alabama is still really good, right, make the playoff. They're one of the top four teams in the country. But there seemed to be a little bit of wobbling 
happening at Alabama. And and it dovetails nicely with the piece I wrote this morning at johnconzano.com about, you know, the Pac-12 teams and the Pacific Time Zone teams playing for national championships getting boat raced, especially in the run game, at the point of attack, at the line of scrimmage, getting boat raced by Big Ten and SEC schools there, historically. Now, Chip Kelly, and I didn't put this in the piece, but I'll tell you it, you know, I'm talking to Chip Kelly about NIL, and UCLA has always sold what to recruits? Hey, come to L.A., be in Southern California, its sun is shining, you have an opportunity to be at UCLA, for crying out loud, you can go to the beach and watch a football game on the same weekend. And, you know, they always sold that in recruiting, but here came name, image, likeness, and as Chip Kelly uh, told me this morning, quote, NIL defeats weather. It's about money. Players are going to follow it. And so you start now to think, who has the most powerful collectives in the country? And if you're buying stock, buy stock in SMU, it the Boulevard Collective, probably one of the top ten collectives with buying power nationally, they are going to emerge in the ACC as a power in football. You watch. Meanwhile, Oregon... Division Street, they have a top three collective. So I do expect Dan Lanning's looking at that going, hey, I've got all the advantages, all the resources I need. His wife, Sophia, is happy because they're kids. It looks like they're going to be able to stay in school. He's got a pile of money, long-term contract. He's kind of got it going. And it's why I would tell Oregon fans today, I would be surprised if Dan Lanning were interested in moving on, particularly after what he said and what he said, uh, you know, to uh, at the bowl game. What he said after the uh, Texas A&M rumors started. You know, he's multiple times he's come out and said, "I'm at Oregon and I'm staying at Oregon." And certainly Alabama, his name has surfaced already from people on social media who are throwing out names like Dabo Sweeney and Dan Lanning and Kalen DeBoer and Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian. And I would just, I got to tell you, I think that Lane Kiffin would be the guy I would keep an eye on for Alabama. Because I think Sark is probably happy and embedded at Texas and knows that he's got an NIL collective there that can get him into the playoff. And or, and Dan Lanning's at Oregon going, I got a collective, I can participate in the playoff. Dabo Sweeney feels to me like he's in a tough, he's in a precarious position, even though Alabama might look at him. If I'm, out of, if I'm Alabama, I'm looking over what's happened in the last couple of years at Clemson, and I'm going, huh. Is it possible that this guy isn't able to work because he's lost the advantages that he had at Clemson once upon a time? Here's Nick Saban talking with Joel Klatt, uh, you know, earlier this season. Well, I think you have to create a balance between how much do you take and how much do you give. Okay. Um, you know, we're giving people scholarships. We're creating name, image, and likeness opportunities. But what is their commitment? I mean, there's no place in the world where you don't have a contract. Uh, if you're going to receive benefits, you have a contract and an obligation to do a certain job. So when you can opt out, transfer, do whatever you want, whenever you want, I'm not sure the balance is quite right. He's talking about the collective, NIL, the transfer portal. He is... Uh 
Belly ached about the NCAA. I don't know what are the best guidelines right, for us to have to create the competitive balance. Um, and I don't know where it needs to come from. Um, I think if the NCAA is going to be able to implement their rules, they need some kind of protection from litigation. Um, because right now, I think they have a difficult time implementing rules because of lawsuits. There you go. You know, you can look all you want at that Alabama job and insert whoever you'd like. They're inheriting what Nick Saban is saying. And here's another thing, Stephen, I want to throw at you. Would you rather be the guy who replaces Nick Saban? Or maybe you avoid that and you go in and be the guy who replaces the guy who replaces Nick Saban? Yeah, I think uh, that's the better option to replace the guy who replaces Nick Saban because that's going to be a tough, tough follow, man. I mean, Nick Saban, you look at just his resume of what he's done, especially just at Alabama, and it's going to be hard to follow that uh, right away because there's going to be so many, so many expectations, especially coming off a year where you know Alabama maybe not their best team that they, you know not definitely not one of their best teams that they've had in the past years, and Saban got them to the playoffs. So there's a lot of expectations already that. If you know Saban could do this with this type of team, you need to do that as well. So if you're landing, it would be a tough spot. But at the same time, not many times does a job like Alabama come available or a job like Georgia become available. And if you're Dan Landing, I think you got to at least listen to it. I don't know if he's going to take it or not, but at the same time, like he has ties to the to the South. You know, the SEC is that conference that a lot of people want to be in. And I think if you're Dan Landing, you just got to listen to it and hear it out and see what they have to say because. These jobs don't come available a lot, John. And you know, with all the advantages Oregon has, Alabama has a lot of the same advantages as well uh, down there in the South. So I, I'm with you. I think in an ideal world, yeah, you would want to be the guy who replaces Nick Saban uh, once he gets fired and there's a little less expectations. But these jobs don't become available that often. And, and I, I think if you're landing, it's okay to listen and it's okay to think about it, but uh, you know, you're know, you going to have to think long and hard about it. Yeah, I think you would. Uh, I think you have to give some pause there. Let's go to Roy in Portland. I think he's got a good feel for it. Big SEC fan, big Georgia fan. Roy, help us make sense of Nick Saban in Alabama. Well, first of all, I want to say congratulations to Nick Saban, man. He was a he was a tough he was a tough tough opponent, man. Uh, you know, and um, you know, uh, happy trails to you, Nick. But um, you know, it's I don't see Dan Lanning leaving. I don't see him leaving. You don't want if you are Dan Lanning, you don't want that Alabama job, man. I'm telling you, you don't want that job. You don't want to follow Nick Saban because those Alabama fans, man, they are vicious. And if you're not winning, oh my goodness, that's going to be the worst thing you ever seen. When when those fans aren't happy, and and it's not like Oregon fans. It's not like having a couple losing seasons or not, you know, having a season not beating your opponent in, in Oregon. If you don't win in Alabama. It's going to be miserable for you as the head coach, and especially with the, with what what Nick Saban has established. And if I'm Dan Lanning, I don't want that Alabama job anyway. Even if they all, if, if I'm not, I don't, I don't want to leave Oregon for Alabama. I don't, I don't want, I don't want that. I, I wouldn't want that job. I'm, I should be happy with Oregon. The man that they're going to get, I know a lot of the loves don't want it now. Some of them do. Is Lane Kiffin? He is perfect for the Alabama job. He's right there in Mississippi. He's in the same footprint. They called him the portal king, John. He's number one in the transfer portal. He's all on social media all the time. He's resonating with the kids down there. They love they love Lane Kiffin.
down there. And, the, and those kids love him, and that's why he's number one in the portal. They, they, they love him. And he he just go right over to, to Alabama from Mississippi. He's recruiting well down there. He's right he's right in the footprint. He's number two in the finish, number two in the SEC West. Behind, the only team he lost to was who? Uh, I think Alabama was the only team Ole Miss lost to last year. So I, I don't see Dan Lanning. I don't think it's a fit at all. I don't know who's floating. Maybe his agent is floating his name out there. But I, I don't I don't see that working for him. I don't see him leaving Oregon for Alabama. I, I just really don't. Appreciate that, Roy. I agree. And I'm kind of looking at Lanning's comments listening to his comments and thinking, gosh, is he going to have to come out every time a job opens and shoot it down? I kind of thought the last time would have been enough, but I do think he's going to have to say something at some point as this Alabama job opens. Steven, if you're him, do you come out and do you say, you know, do you, you know, he, d- does he give me a call and say, hey, John, I'm, I'm not interested in Alabama? I'm happy at Oregon again. You know, does he have to say that again every time a job opens? Um, I think this job, yeah. If he's truly staying at Oregon, um, I think it, it would be smart of him to come out and make a statement about it. But if he, you know, if he if he decides that he's just going to stay at Oregon and, and he doesn't want to do anything with Alabama, he doesn't say anything. I think there's going to be rumors upon rumors of him leaving. So I do think that this is the type of job where you know Alabama is maybe the best job in the nation. One of them definitely, uh, you know, very comparable with Oregon, probably a little ahead. That you would have to come out and say, "Yeah, I don't, I don't want this job. Uh, I'm good at Oregon." I can I argue why Lane Kiffin would not be a great coach in Alabama. I, I don't get this. I don't get it, John. I don't get why you guys are pushing Lane Kiffin. He's failed at every big job he's had. USC failed. Raiders failed. Tennessee failed. He wasn't good at any of those jobs. Why is it going to change at Alabama? Because he's at Ole Miss, where there's less expectations, and he plays a really soft schedule. And then any big team they play, they lose. Like I, I don't, I just do not get this. Lane Kiffin to Alabama thing. Um, I don't see why he would be a great coach at Alabama for any reason. I think he's failed at all these big-time spots he's had. I'd like to see what happens to the next guy who goes to Alabama. I would not want to be the next guy who goes to Alabama because you're in the shadow of a guy who won six national titles. That's the comparison for you. You know, If you repeat it and you win six national titles, what are people going to say? They're going to be like, well, it was Alabama. It wasn't him. I think if, uh, you know, Steve Sarkeesian should probably stay at Texas. I do like Kiffin because he can recruit, Steven. I think he can recruit. And I think if you're Alabama, you need somebody who can get in there in addition to your NIL power, in addition to the SEC thing, somebody who can get in there and recruit for you. You need to go find the best recruiter that you can possibly find. And I think the shame of this for the guy at Miami, Mario Cristobal, is that, is that he didn't have a great season and – his coaching X's and O's is being challenged because I think Cristobal, if he had had some success at Miami, I think they'd be talking right now about him at Alabama. But again, I'll go back to the NIL buying power. You're talking about top five buying power at Miami, not at Alabama. We'll see. 503-417-7575. Your phone calls. Punch it. Audio still coming up. The five at five. We have a lot to talk about. Take some phone calls. We'll play some Punch It Audio in Hour 3. 5 at 5 coming up top of the hour. Can't wait to see what's in that. I um, did some flying uh, this week. You've heard a lot about it. Uh, Getting to Houston for the national championship game on Monday was not easy. 
that uh, 737 Max 9 that had the blowout uh, door, window, plug, whatever you're calling it, caused a bunch of delays, a bunch of planes being grounded. Um, also, it caused crews to not be where they were supposed to be because planes got grounded. So there was some uh, scrambling that was going on with the airlines. About half the flights, I noticed, on Sunday and Monday and Tuesday were getting some kind of delay and, in some cases, cancellations. I had a weird one as I was trying to get back on uh, yesterday, Tuesday morning. I was supposed to catch a flight at 7.25 out of Houston. Would have got me uh, back to uh, Portland right around noon, well in front of the radio show. And in, uh, I got in a in an Uber at like 5 a.m. heading to the uh, George Bush Airport. And as I'm getting into the Uber, I am told that my flight is delayed until 11.30, which is going to cause me to miss my connection. I think it was in Denver. And I'm not going to make it back. And so then I'm in the Uber and I'm talking with Delta, different airline, about changing my uh, getting a flight with them that was going to go through Salt Lake City. It would have left at 755, would have got me home as well at noon. So I booked that one knowing I could cancel one traveler trick. OK, so I'm going to the airport thinking if my United flight is no good, I'm just going to cancel it and get a refund on that second leg. I'll go on Delta. Everything will be fine. By the time I got to the airport, the Delta flight was also delayed and wouldn't get me home till 8 o'clock. So I canceled the Delta flight, got back with United. I looked at other airlines. I couldn't find anything that would work. Um, ultimately, Stephen and Judah graciously hosted the show. I joined on my layover from San Francisco. I was supposed to be in at 8.30 on a United flight. I found that there was an Alaska flight that could get me home at 6.00. And United was willing to put me on that flight, so I switched and uh, got on Alaska. And then guess what happened? As the plane was pushing back, the pilot said, hold on, we got an issue. There's a mechanical issue. And I go back to the gate. He said, a bolt broke off. And I'm like, that's great, fix it. And he said, as long as the bolt broke off cleanly, we should be out of here in about 15 minutes. And I was like, well, wait a minute. Whose job is it to determine that? So, um I got to give a shout out to the airlines. They're doing the best they can. And uh, luckily, nobody was sucked out of the airplane when that 737 Air Max, uh, you know, had the incident with the door flying off. The school teacher found the door. Two cell phones recovered. How about this, Stephen? If you're Apple, you had a, you had a phone that got sucked out of the airplane at 16,000 feet of altitude, fell to the ground. Didn't crack, didn't break, still functioning, still on when it was found. Apple needs to make that into a commercial. I agree, but also could it be the case, the phone case? They should be making the commercial too. Like what? Like what's more? What was more the reason of it staying alive? Is it the phone or is it the case? Because I do have questions about that. I also call me a little, uh, you know. Skeptical. Uh, skeptical. Yeah, I don't know about that. Sixteen thousand foot fall and is surviving. I drop my phone three feet out of my hand. Crack. That's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> you know? I want I want to throw mine off the PacWest building and see if it survives. Like, I don't just drop it. Yeah, I it's, feel like it wouldn't. But then it, the other thing was, you know, people were like, my idea of, you know, a plane incident where there's a hole in the side of the plane, and that's what happened. I kept. I was always of the thought that the cabin pressure, even at sixteen thousand feet, everything would get sucked towards that hole. 
that it would ultimately become like, you know, anything that wasn't latched down is going out that hole. And maybe that's why the phones got ripped off. Apparently somebody's shirt, guy's shirt that was nearby, got torn off him too. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, and wait a minute. Like, tell me. But then they, the videos of the plane that everybody was circulating on social media, everybody was quiet and calm, just kind of cruising down. And, you know, later the news reports, people were like, you know, every minute felt like an hour. And I, I'll bet I would have been shrieking, you know, the whole way down. I would have been the guy screaming. You know, it would have been uh, difficult. But I'm glad everybody's okay. Airlines are doing their best. I got home. I'm back on air. Sam in Portland's about to join us. Sam, what's on your mind, man? Well, John, um, you haven't heard from Dan Lanning, correct? I have not heard from Dan Lanning. He hasn't made a he hasn't made a comment. I, this is um, is, and the reason is he's probably too busy talking to Alabama right now. I'm thinking if he doesn't make a statement in the next 24 to 36 hours or whatever, uh, he's seriously considering leaving Oregon and taking this job because if he's real. You know, to what he said, and what he said in the past is, this is the job. He wants to stay here. He loves it here. I would think if I was him, I'd come out as soon as possible tomorrow and say, hey, I hear the speculation. I'm not leaving. Oregon's where I want to be. I'm staying. Good luck to Alabama. If you don't hear that in the next 24 hours, I think he's considering it, and there's a good chance he's gone. That's my thoughts, John. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's wait and see what he does here. And let's wait and see how he how he reacts. Um, you know, uh, I'm I'm interested in Dan Lanning because I wanted to talk to him about the ESPN thing where he was you know on the pregame and the halftime show for the national championship game on Monday. And I want you know I'm going to write the backstory on that. Hey, I I can slip in a hey, you know, Oregon is where I want to be. If you're Dan Lanning, what's the simple statement, Stephen? Because he doesn't need to come out and make a. 45-minute you know, news conference out of it, but what's the simple statement? No, the simple statement is, look, I've, I've said I want to stay at Oregon, and I'm going to stay at Oregon. Like That's just what it is. I could win here, and we proved it last year. We were that close. We were one win away from the college football playoff, and I can win it here at Oregon. That's what I want to do. I love it here and you know, all that kind of stuff, but I'm with the caller there, John. I think this job is too big to uh, ignore it. I think Landing, if he really wants this Oregon job, he wants to stay at Oregon, he needs to put out a statement at some point within the next you know day or two or else it's just going to, rumors are going to get, uh, it's like a snowball effect. It's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So I think if, if it was a different job, it wouldn't matter. But it's Alabama. Like, it has a, he, you know, he doesn't have a school and alumni to go to, but Alabama is pretty dang close. Uh, Alabama, do you, can you, can he do that though? Can, uh, um, can he, after he has said, Oregon is my place, you know, I'm not leaving, I've got all the resources I needed, can, can he just a month or two after saying that or well, even Smith less did. than a month, you know, can he go? Yeah, I think anybody can. It's college football, man. We'll see. We'll see what happens there. All right, we'll take some phone calls. We've got the 5 at 5 coming up. If you're holding, hang on. we got a shot to get on air. Let's be clear, it's been a newsy day. Steven's going to give us our 5 at 5 coming up. I'm going to take a couple of calls before we tee that up. want to know where your mind is as it pertains to Pete Carroll leaving the Seahawks. Nick Saban retiring at Alabama. Looks like Carroll's been forced out. Saban pulling the ripcord and saying, I want out after six national titles at Alabama. 
go out to the phone lines. Uh, Steven's going to get the 5 at 5 ready. Mike in Portland, what's on your mind? Mike, uh, John, what a beautiful day. I'm an SEC guy, so I think I can speak for the rest of the SEC family. And uh, glad to see Saban go. Excellent coach. And it kind of frees up a little space for the rest of us kind of deal. So I'm happy. That gives more for everyone. Has Alabama lost their edge? You know, was Georgia already winning there? Was Alabama looking around college football, looking at Michigan, looking at Ohio State, looking at Oregon, going, this isn't getting any easier? And so Nick Saban goes, eh, I'm out of here? Or what do you see happening? Well, I think Saban would telegraph that about two years ago on the NIL deal, said college football is exactly what it used to be. Uh, his assistants, he runs a bunch of assistants through on the uh, on the Saban tree, and they've all done pretty well. You're right on about uh, Nick uh, about Lane Kiffin. I don't think, uh, honestly, that uh, uh, the Oregon coach has anything to worry about. I think he's safe up there. I don't think he's going to be a big uh, big item. Uh, Dabo's not going to be a big item because he's kind of falling apart. He's old school. They're going to look for somebody a little bit newer. And I think Lane Kiffin is the main candidate you have to worry about there. And he coached for my team. Tennessee a long time ago for about one year, and uh, I think Kiffin is your is the main candidate there. Just for me, I've got a couple of Alabama friends that think think along the same way. Yeah, and I think uh, if you're an Alabama fan, I'd love to hear from you about you know how you feel about Nick Saban leaving. Uh, Joel is in Newburgh. Joel, you get the last uh, word before we go to the five at five. What do you got? Awesome. Thanks for taking my call, John. Yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of looking at the landscape. I agree with you guys for the most part. Um, I mean, the landscape has changed so much. Like, there are so many more ways to get into the championship game now, Um, into the playoffs, wherever you're at. I mean, landing obviously is set up well. But also just another, you know, trend and pattern maybe for you guys to ponder is how many times has a – successful program or a coach that's built up a successful program left and a coach from another school that's built up sort of a similar program come in and succeeded you know you look at like Oregon and Ohio State are kind of the two schools that have done that Miami was down Crystal has come in and he hasn't been successful yet but Texas was down Sark came in he went up Bama was down Steven came in they went up you know Georgia wasn't winning national championships Kirby came in they went up I think these guys want projects, and I think they want to inherit, you know, maybe a bit of a mess, not something that's too super, super nice. So in some sense, this is unprecedented, right? Like the success of Alabama, the fan base. So whoever takes that job, good luck to them. But I sure wouldn't want that job. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really challenging job for whoever comes in. A little different than the Patriots job because – Keep in mind, Bill Belichick has struggled post-Tom Brady. And so it's not like you're coming into the New England Patriots fresh off, you know, them going to the AFC Championship game and having, you know, recently had great success. And, you know, it's different. I mean, you're essentially following Frank Sinatra off stage. You know, you, 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 know, you have Dave Chappelle, who's just performed. Now, Stephen, you go. Like, you know, it, this is not a... This is not a great situation for a coach to come into because if you have success, they're going to say it's Alabama. If you don't have success, they're going to say you're a bum. I think it's going to be really interesting to watch what happens. All right, we got the five at five, five biggest stories in sports. I know one and two are going to be some form of the stuff we've been talking about, 
What is Steven going to do with three, four, and five? We find out now. The five at five. Number one. What do you got? Yeah, you're right. Number one. Uh, it was tough to decide what I wanted at number one, though. I decided Nick Saban. He deserves the number one spot. He announces he is retiring 297-71-1 as a college football head coach. Uh, stops at Toledo, Michigan State, LSU, and, of course, Alabama. At Alabama, he was 206-29. and Alabama has put out an official press release. A.D. Greg Byrne said, quote, Simply put, Nick Saban is one of the greatest coaches of all time in any sport. And the University of Alabama is fortunate to have him leading our football program for the past 17 years, end quote. Uh, here's some stats from Nick Saban. Seven national championships as a head coach, 15 consecutive years with an NFL first-round pick. Saban had had more, has had more players drafted in the first round of the NFL draft, 44, than he had losses at Alabama, 29. Uh, there are now rumors all around. Who's going to replace Saban? BetOnline.ag has the their odds out. Dan Lanning is the favorite at 3-1. to one. No. Dabo Swinney, 4-1. to one. Lane Kiffin, 5-1. to one. Deion Sanders and Kalen DeBoer, both mm. at 6-1 to one to round out the top five. I like, for me, I like Kalen DeBoer, Deion Sanders, and uh, I like Lane Kiffin more than Dan Lanning. I I just don't see it with Oregon's NIL collective, the resources. Lanning's got it cooking at Oregon. I'd be surprised to see him give up on it. I think Washington, Kalen DeBoer, um, you know, I, I, I had originally thought of Kalen DeBoer as a possible replacement for Pete Carroll, but, you know, maybe that's a better situation for him. Washington, I think, is going to have a harder time than Oregon transitioning to the bigger ten, the Big Ten Conference. Number two. Well, the other big story, of course, Pete Carroll, he was fired by the Seahawks today, but it was you know, supposedly a mutual mutual split. Uh, head coach of the Seahawks for 14 years, leading Seahawks to their only Super Bowl win, also made the playoffs in 10 out of his 14 season. Carroll, though, is apparently going to be heading into an advisor role with the team, according to the Seattle Seahawks, but we will remain to see what happens. There's been reports by numerous NFL people that said if Pete Carroll is interested in coaching once again, the Seahawks will more than likely let him uh, look for that role instead of keeping him into that advisor role. There you go. I, I think Pete Carroll, obviously, 14 seasons with the Seahawks, um, had a great run. Two Super Bowls. He won one of them. If he had handed off to Marshawn Lynch, he would have had two. Um, I, I think you know it was evident from his comments that he didn't really want to go. He was making comments like you know, he had great energy. He was trying to... Uh, I think make it difficult because the Seahawks apparently, um, you know, were looking at, um, you know, pushing him out. And uh, I just think in the end, Jody Allen's got her sleeves rolled up. And if you're a Seahawks fan, you should be worried in looking at what the Blazers and what happened to that organization. He's easily the Seahawks' best coach of all time, right? All time. Yep. Easily. Has to be. He won the Super Bowl. You know, they, they, they he, he's the guy who won Brought a Super Bowl to Seattle. Probably could have brought two. Again, hand the damn ball off. Number three. This is kind of a weird story here. Uh, University of Michigan basketball. You know, football team just won the championship. The basketball team, not very good this year, 6-9. and nine, But their star guard, Doug McDaniel, he's going to be serving a six-game suspension for academics. But it's not a normal suspension. McDaniel posted on Instagram that he will be suspended for the next six road games, but will be allowed to play in home games. Uh, college basketball analyst Jeff Goodman tweeted out that a former Michigan player texted him and said, is there a bigger clown show in college basketball right now? Uh, Juwan Howard, the head coach of the Michigan Wolverines, put out a statement 
saying we have very high standards within our program, culture, and university. Serving as mentors, we need to set the standards and pathways for our young men to succeed. Beginning with our game at Maryland, Doug McDaniel will not travel to road games until further notice. Doug will dress for home games, however. When we are away from Ann Arbor, he will work towards meeting several academic goals he has set and needs to meet. While I'm disappointed, this is not something we take lightly. This is an important step for Doug and his success as a student athlete. Going forward, we will have no further comment. End quote. Uh, McDaniel, really good player for the Michigan Wolverines. Best player, averaging 17.8 points, 5.1 assists, 4.1 rebounds. But, of course, Michigan 6-9 in the season and uh, struggling. But he will play in home games, John. But will not travel for the road games. Does this make sense to you? And again, let's frame this. Let's frame this as you know, Michigan's having this great national championship moment in football, and basketball program has become uh, a mess behind it. Does it make sense to you? Should you just suspend the guy and say that uh, you know he's gone for all games? But you. Why does it make sense that he can remain and play at home but can't go on the road? Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me. Like that, it doesn't make any sense at all. What what is what is he going to do on road games? He's going to be watching the games. Not like he's going to be studying twenty four seven when Michigan's on the road. So I I just suspend him for all the games, however long you want to suspend him for. If it's six games, six games, but don't let him play at home and then not on the road. It just it doesn't seem like they're not taking any accountability at all. Like they're not even really suspending this guy. They're letting him play at home. Like this is what he wants to do. So I, it seems like a real, real mess there uh, up in Michigan. Moving on. We're burying through this. Number four. Toronto's Raptors coach, Darko Rykovich. He went off on the referees last night, John. Uh, Raptors lost to the Lakers 132-131 in L.A., Lakers shot 23 free throws in the fourth quarter, including 11 by Anthony Davis, compared to the Raptors' two in the fourth quarter. Rykovich not happy and uh, let the media know about it. Thank you, Doug. That's, that's, that's outrageous. What happened tonight, this is completely BS. This is shame. Shame for the referees, shame for the league to allow this. 23 free throws for them, and we get two free throws in, in the fourth quarter. Like how to play the game, I all, I understand uh, respect for all stars and all of that, but we have star players on our team as well. How's possible as Scotty Barnes, who is all-star caliber player in this league, he goes every single time to the rim with force and trying to get get uh, to the, to the rim without flopping and and not trying to get foul calls. He gets two uh, free throws for the whole game. How's that possible? How are you gonna explain it that, that to me? They had to win tonight. If that's, if that's the case, just let us know so we don't show up for the game. Just give them a win. But that, that was not fair tonight. And this is not happening first time for us. Scotty Barnes is going to be all-star. He's going to be the face of this league. And what, what's happening over here during whole season, I've been holding it back. It's a complete crap. He's not wrong. I was watching this game. Uh, Lakers were getting every single call as I had um, Raptors plus five. Luckily, it cashed for me. Good news. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I feel like uh, Rykovich, the head coach of the Raptors, is kind of speaking the language of a lot of NBA fans. When they play the Lakers, you know the Lakers are going to get the calls, but don't give them every single call. 23 free throws in the fourth quarter compared to two, man. That just seems uh, seems a little outrageous. I'm not calling anything, you know, like it's rigged or anything, but, man, it certainly seems it's rigged. Uh, uh, I-, I will say it's rigged. You uh, think Darko, so? And Darko went dark, you know, and, and I like it. Uh, look, I was looking uh, at some statistics across the league. 
because I wanted to see like 23 free throws at a game, okay, or in a quarter. Now, you know how unusual that is. That's a lot of free throws. 16 of the 30 teams in the league average fewer than 23 free throws per game. They shot 23 in the fourth quarter. Raptors had 13 in the loss and two in the fourth quarter. It was a one-point loss. Um, you know, I think uh, he's gonna get a uh, he's gonna get a fine if he hasn't already. I haven't looked at my email. Probably the NBA's fined him. I haven't seen anything as of yet. It won't be long, but you know, I expect about a thirty thousand dollar fine. <laughs> he's saying what Darko. everyone's thinking though, because every time, especially as a Blazers fan, when the Blazers play the Lakers, you know the Lakers are gonna get the calls, especially LeBron and AD. But man, it was just uh, it was outrageous last night, and I I agree, Raptors. 15 and 22 struggling, and they are the target of a lot of trade talks, so maybe a little frustration as well. All right, so here's how it was going. Four minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Lakers had 17 free throws in the game to Toronto's 13. And then the Lakers took 19 free throws in the next four minutes. The Raptors got zero. That's bad. You telling me in four minutes the Lakers shot 19 Raptors shot zero. Eight of the free throws were from take fouls. Basically, when the Raptors used a foul to stop the clock. So that's, you know, another came when uh, Anthony Davis got uh, shoved. You know, he was trying to dunk and he got shoved. So there was an obvious one there. So nine, ten of the free throws were from that. Another came on a flagrant two. And then... Four others came on soft, kind of questionably fouls. So I, I, you know, the officials might be able to say, "Hey, you know, you can't not call, you cannot blow the whistle when they're trying to take a foul. You can't not blow the whistle when there's a obvious shove on a, you know, somebody trying to dunk." But those other four were the ones that I think Darko is uh, upset about mostly. Number five. Well, I'm going to consider this uh, propaganda until I see it, but LeBron James, Spring Hill Company, Barack Obama's Higher Ground Productions, and Peyton Manning's Omaha Productions have teamed up to produce a new Netflix series which will follow the journeys of five NBA players. It has began taping already. It's going to be a similar format to the quarterback documentary we saw uh, earlier this year for the NFL. Sham Sharania reported that the players they will be following is LeBron James, Jason Tatum, Jimmy Butler, Anthony Edwards, and DeMontis Sabonis. There's no title or release date revealed yet for the NBA docu-series, but uh, call me a little skeptical here with LeBron James' company backing it that uh, LeBron will be looking really good in this uh, docu-series. Yeah, it's not, a, it's not a real documentary. It's more of a mockumentary when you have the production company involved who, uh, and you know the camera's on that person, that subject. This is like the Colorado reality show. It's more reality show uh, produced, hyper-produced by uh, the entities in charge of it. I wish we could see, like, you know, and I guess we know what we're getting. Even with the Michael Jordan, the last dance documentary, we know Michael Jordan had some uh, authority as that it was being edited and shot. And, you know, but you, you still kind of got the story with people talking about how difficult Jordan was to be and play alongside as a teammate. He still had a little balance. But, you know, you could tell that Jordan got ultimately the the uh, the uh, opportunity to well, respond. The thing was, is that. the quarterback documentary was really good, right? Like, I think we, you know, you watched it, John, I watched it. It was yeah. really good. I, I just, I'm very skeptical of this one because anytime LeBron has his fingers on something, 
he just never comes across as real for me. So the fact that it's hit, one of his companies is in charge of doing it and then he's going to be the main guy, it just seems so fishy to me that we're not even going to see anything real. And it's disappointing because I would love to know, you know stuff that LeBron is doing if he could really give you behind the scenes, but it's just going to be stuff that he wants you to see. That's the five at five. Five biggest stories going on in sports. We've got Punch It Audio coming up. We'll take some phone calls. We'll have some fun. Um, I had kind of a uh, nightmare experience that related to a, uh, a Duck fan who uh, hit my car in the parking lot of Autzen Stadium two seasons ago. I'll tell you the backstory on that uh, and a whole bunch more. Still ahead, we'll track Nick Saban, who, what comes next, who comes next in Alabama, and what's next for the Seahawks. Pete Carroll, his era over. Uh, you know, what should the Seahawks do moving forward? All of that still ahead. So I park in a lot of uh, Pac-12 stadiums. I'm in the stadium a lot, right? Makes sense. I get there, and I was parked at Autzen Stadium last October, and when I get back out to the parking lot, it's often dark. The lights are off. There's generally very few people left in the parking lot when I come out after the games. And um, so I'm walking over to my car, and I realize when I get to my car that there's a note that is kind of stuck on the door handle. And it's been raining, too. It was a rainy October day. And so the note is almost trashed, but I very gently took it off, and there was some handwriting on it. And the note said, hey, I'm really sorry I uh, accidentally clipped your car when I was leaving Autzen Stadium. And I went and looked at the back of the car, and sure enough, the bumper, the le- the driver's so- back driver's side bumper got clipped by another car. And I thought, first of all, like, hey, that's really nice. Somebody hit my car and was a decent human being who said, oh, that was my bad, I better leave a note. And then I thought, well, I wonder if you know it's going to be a real person, like when I... When I call the number, is it going to be right? Or did somebody just go, hey, somebody saw me hit a car. I'm going to leave a number and uh, make it look like I'm leaving a number, but I'm not going to. But sure enough, the guy that uh, that hit my car, real person, nice gentleman, um, I think his name was Chris, and he uh, said, here's a picture of my insurance information and really sorry about that. It was, you know, the spaces in the parking lot are tight and... Sure enough, um, it was good. Um, But I was dealing with an insurance agency. And for those of you out there, I don't know if it makes any difference if it's your insurance or their insurance when you go to file a claim. But this was not my insurance. So I'm calling this gentleman's insurance company. And I'm going to name the company because I think it's worth, if I don't name it, it's not fair to the other companies. It was State Farm, okay? And... I have no experience prior to this with State Farm, and I'm dealing nationally with their claim center. And for those of you who have dealt with any kind of insurance company, you know that the aim of the insurance company is not to lose money. Okay, so first of all, I filed a claim in October of 2022, more than a year ago. And immediately they're nice and they open the claim and they say, okay, you know, you're going to need to get into an auto body shop and. You know what they try to do? They try to push you into their preferred auto body shop that gives them a discount. And I said, no, no, no. Um, I want to go to uh, Hilltop Collision Center. It's in Oregon City. I know those guys, uh, some other people who have done work there. 
have speak highly of Hilltop, and so I said I want to take it to those guys. I want them to look at it, and of course the uh, person nationally at State Farm said, well, you know, they're not our preferred person. They're not our preferred auto body shop. We'd like to have you go somewhere else. And uh, I said, no, no, no. I, I believe I'm entitled to be able to take it anywhere that I want to. I kind of know that that's supposed to be the case. And they said, well, okay, you can do that. But if you do that, um, you're going to have to have one of our adjusters look at it separately. It's going to require another appointment. Or you'll have to do the claim process yourself using your cell phone. You know, they made it clear that it was going to be cumbersome if I didn't take it to their their body shop. But I said, no, no, I want to take it to Hilltop. So I waited to hear from State Farm Insurance for about a month. And I was like, it's weird. Like, they never called me back. They never did anything. So I went online to check the status of the claim, Stephen, and it said the claim is closed. And I went, what? Claim is closed? Like, who closed it? So I called State Farm back. And they said, well, yeah, you know, we close it automatically after 30 days. And I said, well, what were you waiting for? And they said, well, we were waiting for you to take it to our, our preferred auto body shop. And I said, we're not doing that. I'm taking it to Hilltop Collision Center in Oregon City. Those are the guys I want to fix it. I trust those guys. They come highly recommended. So sure enough, um, they reopened the claim. And it took more than a year for them to finally say, hey, it's okay. Take it in. Uh, you know, get an estimate, whatnot, because I got an estimate, and it came back as a very minor repair. Like, you know, it was under $2,000, fix the car, remove the panels, whatever. Um, and uh, I thought this is a uh, great opportunity for me to experience what a lot of people are experiencing when it comes to insurance. It was just a really hard process, and and I had to take the pictures of the car, and I had to submit the claim, and, I, and then they, they said, well, okay, we... Based on your photos, the uh, your estimate for this car was like $2,000, right, for the repair at the actual auto body shop. State Farm said, we'll approve $853. So we're going to send you a check. And I was like, wait a minute. Don't send me a check. No, no, no. I'm not doing the repair. And, oh, by the way, it's more than $853. Like, you know, this is what it costs to repair the car. That's what your guys are going to have to pay to repair the car. So uh, finally... I got them to agree that I could drop the car off and they would handle whatever it costs to repair it. But they still said, we got to send an adjuster over there. So I made the arrangements and uh, and uh, the State Farm said, go ahead, we'll, uh, we'll let you rent a car. And uh, I looked up online. I said, well, what kind of car am I entitled to? My car is an SUV. And the law says that I'm entitled to a com you know, comparable replacement, so an SUV I should get, or a car of similar size. And and uh, so sure enough, what happens is uh, I get to talk into that State Farm approved you for $18 a day. $18 a day gets you a skateboard, Stephen. Doesn't get you a car. So uh, I called the insurance company back, and I said, hey, uh, must be $100 a day. Um, I'm going to need you to get that upgraded to an SUV. Um, here's what I drive. Here's what the claim's for. should be a comparable car. By the way, I spent 20 minutes on hold. And, uh, again, I think the insurance agency probably just wants you to give up. Uh, but I am a persistent uh, person, and I uh, saw it through. And uh, 
Then I was told by State Farm, we're really sorry. We'll take care of that. Yeah, you should have had an SUV. That's our bad. Uh, you now have an SUV. So I still don't trust him at this point. And, and I'm only telling you this because I, I probably, I think you probably have had similar insurance experiences either in the medical or homeowners situation. I think oftentimes insurance companies are just not looking to, to pay everything that they're supposed to pay. And uh, so, you know, against my better judgment, I called the rental car agency. I said, hey, did they upgrade me into a you know, day's coming? I don't want there to be some kind of confusion. And they said, uh, in fact, they uh, did not. And so uh, they said, call them back and make sure that they do that or we can't give you the, the, the SUV to drive. And I, so I called them back. Finally got a different person on the phone. I said, hey, you know, this is an ongoing issue. I don't want to be wasting your time. You're, you're wasting my time. Uh, I value your time. Just can you do this? Can you do what you're supposed to do? And uh, they finally said, yes, we will do that. Of course, no problem. And then I dropped my vehicle off at Hilltop Collision Center. And uh, they've been in touch with State Farm, of course. And uh, the nice gentleman says, uh, here's what uh, they have approved for the repair. And uh, it was leaving... Uh, of course, $853 is what they had approved. And I said, that's not going to cover it, is it? And he said, no, it's not going to cover it. You would uh, ultimately would probably be responsible for whatever's left over. At which point I got back on the phone with State Farm and spent another 30 minutes on the phone telling them to get their act together. Uh, they finally agreed that uh, they would send an adjuster over and that they were good for it. And uh, I wasn't going to get left holding the bag. And uh, picked the car up today. No incident there. It looks beautiful. The Hilltop Collision Center did a great job. But, Stephen, have you dealt with insurance companies? Like, I am really disappointed. Like, I can't imagine if you were elderly or if English was your second language and you were dealing with this same minor repair, I think it would have been incredibly challenging to get through the process without giving up. Yeah, 100%. I feel like you're right on that. Like, they try to get you to hang up by making you wait. I feel like they could get to you a little bit earlier. Um, but, yeah, so we, uh, not me personally, but my wife, she, you know, she works at Central Catholic High School, and they have street parking, uh, you know, on the, on that road right there. They don't really have a parking lot for the for the faculty. And all of a sudden, she got a phone call from the front, from the front office, and uh, they said, your car just got hit. And it was a drunk driver who just drove into her car on the side of the street um, and, and kind of you know messed up the car a little bit. And so we had to go through the whole insurance thing as well. And since the driver didn't stop or anything, we didn't have any of their information. We didn't have anything like that. And uh, ultimately, at the start, they were trying to make us pay for everything. And we're like, no, 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 no. That, that's not how it's going to work. So, uh, yeah, we, we luckily our insurance agent is one of my wife's former players, one of her former athletes. And so she had the hookup. She had us ready to go, and she was ready to go to bat for her. But, yeah, it's a uh, very stressful situation she was on the phone a lot, you know, talking to a lot of people, being on hold, and it was just, uh, it just, it doesn't, doesn't make sense. It should be easier, I feel like. Yeah, and uh, I just think sometimes I want to give a shout out to the companies that do it right, and I want to give a shout out to the Auto Body Shop because they did it right. Uh, Pat is holding. Pat's got some comments on this. Pat, welcome. Well, John, I own a body shop, a pretty well known one in town. I might have want a free, you know, a free, you know advertise or anything, but you go through what we go through every day. Now, State Farm and, and Liberty Mutual are the two worst insurance companies. They they obscure everything on purpose on hoping that you you won't. See, what they want to do is write you a low bid, hoping that you won't get it fixed and just take the money. That's, yeah. their, that's their number one plan. 
after that, the, the they make you hold, stay on hold. They make you call back. A back. See, um, um, if you were brought it to us, we handle all that stuff for you. Eventually, if they, they they can't figure something out, what they do is they do send an adjuster out. But most insurance companies do not have adjusters. Or rather, on-site adjusters anymore. Um, but but one that does is State Farm. And uh, matter of fact, I'm in a huge uh, hassle with them just today over a, a deal. And but every single job that you do for them, including trying to get paid at the end, I, I know the guys up at the shop you uh, sent it to, and they'll be at least two or three weeks before they get their money from State Farm. Wow. It's it's yeah. uh, it's a complete okie doke. Yeah. Uh, it's a dog and pony show that never never changes. And they they like it that way because it's in their best interest. Oh yeah, I mean, look, I I think thanks for the call. The insurance companies are definitely uh, a lot of them, the, you know, definitely out there, sort of uh, towing the line. Um, I am a nightmare though because I reached out to the state of Oregon in the middle of the process and I said, hey, you know, here's what's going on. Most not for me, but mostly because I I kept thinking about like my grandfather. You know, he was in his 90s. He had a little car incident where the mirror on his car, he bumped into another car in a parking lot. He was an older driver, and, you know, he clipped another car. And I kept thinking, like, what if this is my grandpa? And what if this is some elderly person in the state of Oregon who's dealing with an insurance company? Because you'd give up. And and it's interesting that they were pushing so hard to send me the check. I think the guy's right. And he said, hey, we, we'll get that check right out to you. And I was like, don't send me the check. I don't want your check. Send it to the auto body shop. They're, they're the ones who are going to fix it. Now, I know this is a sports show, but I, I think about things like this because for a number of reasons. One of them is a conversation I had with Anna earlier today when I, you know, I was talking, and the guys at the uh, auto body shop uh, said, hey, we listen to the show every day. They have the show on, and they're listening to the show. And I was like, that's awesome that you're listening. I appreciate you guys. And Anna said to me, you know, you get that a lot. I got on a plane yesterday, right? I was boarding that plane from San Francisco to, to uh, back to Portland, and and I had a guy sitting. You know, I was I was in row like thirty four or row twenty six. I don't know. I had a middle seat, you know. And the guy was like, "Hey, uh, I re- I listen to your show. I read your column." And I was like, hey, "You know, nice to meet you. Nice to put a face on a reader." And but I think there's a lot of men out there in particular who listen to this show, and we're not like women. I know there are women who are listening, and I mean no offense for this, but we're not like women. We're not social animals in the way that women socialize and talk to each other and meet together. And as men, we do not do this. We talk about sports. We talk about other things. And I just think sometimes this show can play a little bit of a different role in community, particularly if you have an audience that's, you know, men 25 to 64, and we're all kind of in this space together. And I do think that bringing up stuff like this, I like think it's highly relatable. I think a lot of people, especially uh, people who are older, would have given up. And I'm here to tell you you shouldn't because don't let them get away with it, damn it. All right, we're going to play Punch It Audio coming up in the next segment. I promise you that. Leave it here. All right, we've got great sound today on a big newsy day. Why should we keep this to ourselves? We should share this. Let's play Punch It Audio. <laughs> 
We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, let's start with Dan Lanning from November the 14th. The Alabama jobs opens. Nick Saban is retiring. Where does your mind go? Well, maybe it goes to Dan Lanning. But here's what Oregon's coach said in November. Punch it. Yeah, we talk about outside noise a lot in our program. Um, I guess the reality here is, one, our, our, my name and uh, our program would never be in the, a topic of conversation for another school if, if we didn't have something here that everybody else wanted. And the reason we have something here... Uh, that everybody else wants, that's because of what our players, our coaches, the support that exists here at Oregon have created. I think I've been really, really clear here since day one. Uh, everything I want exists right here. I'm not going anywhere. There's zero chance that I would be coaching somewhere else. Um, I've got unfinished business here. There's a lot that I want to accomplish uh, here at Oregon. My number one priority is being elite um, here at Oregon. And we have the resources, the tools, um, Anybody that can't understand why you would want to be here at this place doesn't understand exactly what exists here, right? Like what I've said before, with a 13-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a 10-year-old, to be able to raise your uh, family in a community like this, to be able to compete for uh, championships and have the ability to get the resources you need. You know, a lot of coaches hang on to these moments and they don't do anything or don't say anything, one, because they don't want egg on their face when they decide to do something else, right? Two, because they're concerned about things that I'm not concerned about, like getting a better contract. Like, I'm taken care of extremely well here at Oregon. I have the resources I need here at Oregon to be really, really successful. I'm not motivated by that. I'm motivated by winning. I'm motivated by being elite here. Um, and our players deserve my complete focus. Uh, our fans deserve the best uh, product on the field. So it's outside noise. It didn't matter before. It doesn't matter now. I'll continue to say it till I'm blue in the face. I want to be here at Oregon. Uh, that hasn't changed. That won't change. Dan Lanning, do you believe him? Does he need to come out and speak to this Alabama thing or not? What are you waiting for? Why did Saban walk away? Is it NIL? Is it the transfer portal? Dennis Dodd, CBS Sports, thinks it's something else. Punch it. And I will tell you what he told me a few years ago. He confided in me out of nowhere, really, Tom. He said, can you imagine? We one day went 8-4. and four. And I thought that revealed tons about him, that he wouldn't, didn't want to slip into mediocrity. He didn't want to be that Willie Mays batting 172 for the Mets. He didn't want to be Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick is now um, below 500 and done nothing since Tom Brady. Uh, I think it's. I think he wanted to go out on top, and that's what he was saying, and that's absolutely what he's done. He's going out on top. Was there concern, though, that Alabama was slipping? Were they faltering? Did Saban go, gosh, look at Michigan. That used to be us in the semifinal? Was he saying, I don't know if I can get to the playoff. 12-team playoff coming up. Uh, Really interesting to see how that unfolds. Here is Nick Saban uh, before the 2018 national title game. Remember, Alabama beat Georgia to win that one. Punch it. Look, guys, this game is all about what we do. It's all about us just like it's been all year long. All right, so you've got to focus and not get... The external factors have any factor on how you focus in this game. You want to focus on the things that have made us good all year long, which is discipline to execute and do your job, 
played with relentless effort and toughness for 60 minutes in the game, no matter what the circumstance in the game is, and an intensity that they can't match. Now, you guys talk about respect all the time. All right, Kirby says we ain't what we used to be. Well, by God, I want to prove something different. I don't want to see a smile on that face after the game. And the other thing is, is the ultimate disrespect is when somebody takes what's yours. And this is our game. It's our time. And here's what the guy's trying to take it from us. So that makes it personal. So let's don't be denied what we want. Let's go. Relentless effort for 60 minutes. Dominate on three. One, two, three. Dominate. Great speech by Saban. He'll go down as a guy with six national titles at Alabama, seven overall. It'll be really difficult to follow him. Interesting thing, also, John, with the transfer portal. Uh, now, you know, with the portal windows, there's an exemption for players who head coaches depart their program. So Nick Saban retires on January 10th. Alabama underclassmen have through February 9th to enter the transfer portal, and anybody uh, can immediately do that. So uh, something maybe to keep an eye on. Keep an eye and see uh, if the, the, the flow of talent heads to the Pacific Northwest, maybe. Or do they come after the coach? Pete Carroll out in Seattle. Looks like he was fired or pushed. Carroll uh, talking to the media today. Got emotional. Punch it. That's it for now. And uh, I'm freaking jacked. I'm fired up. I'm not tired. I'm not worn down. Uh, you, you guys tried your best. You didn't wear me out. I'm, you know, it's the end of the season. I'm supposed to be, you know, go lay on a cot somewhere. I ain't feeling like that. And, uh, um, you know, there's what's coming. I don't know. I got no idea. And I really don't care right now. But uh, I do. Um, I'm excited about it because there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to study. Uh, there's a, there's some great discoveries that are going to come our way. And as my, my all-time mentor, Bud Grant, said, not in so many words, uh, there's there's rivers to wade, uh, there's waves to catch, and there's mountains to hike. And uh, it wasn't exactly how Bud said it, but uh, I get it. And uh, that's some cool stuff that we're going to do here. Um, and uh, I look forward to all that. He also got emotional talking about his wife. I've been blessed with, like, the rarest of best friends and uh, mentor, um, loving partner, the angel in my life. <laughs> this is worth crying for. Glenn, <laughs> uh, nobody would ever understand how significant... She's been through all of the stuff that we've been through and uh, how important she is. As a, as she's just been the angel in my life and I owe you everything. Pete Carroll uh, looks a lot like he got pushed. Dan Orlovsky talking about that. My big takeaway is the emotion that Coach Carroll was fighting back. My second thing is he was fired. It certainly sounds like he was a coach that was fired because he made it very clear of his intentions to stay. And then talking about the future. And he was like, this place has a very bright future. So... I, the way initially I thought it was this mutual agreement, yeah. I don't come away from Coach Carroll's press conference thinking that anymore. It sounds like he wanted to be their head coach, and he was told no longer he would be. There it is, Pete Carroll. He, he clearly wanted to be there, and I think it's interesting. Greatest Seahawks coach ever, Super Bowl champion. I don't think he's done, Stephen. I think he's going to get one more job. I agree. Uh, I, I, I did. I agree with all that because it sounds like he didn't want to leave. And it sounds like he wanted to stay in Seattle. The fact that he said, you know, I'm fired up right now. You you guys thought I'd be tired. I'm not tired. I'm ready to go. It didn't sound like a guy ready to retire. So I'm with you. I think Pete Carroll gets another shot. I deserves, he deserves another shot. Still good coach. 
uh, yeah, I'm excited to see where he goes next because I think he's going somewhere. Mike Florio, Pro Football, talking. Pete Carroll has gotten canned, although they're presenting it in a very positive way. They're doing with Pete Carroll what I think Bill Belichick and the Patriots would like to do if only Bill Belichick would go along with it. The word amicably was used in the statement from the Seattle Seahawks. Pete Carroll is becoming an advisor. He's not going to move on to another team, although I think if he wants to go coach somewhere else, they probably wouldn't stand in his way. But this is all being presented as something very positive, even though, in reality, Carroll is out after 14 years as coach of the team. He is out. Richard Sherman had some thoughts. He played for Pete Carroll. Punch it. I did not see this coming. I did not see them letting Pete go. Uh, he's one of the only coaches in the history of football in general to, to win a national championship in college and win a Super Bowl. Uh, I think he's the greatest Seahawks coach of all time, and that's not to be debated at this point. He won them their only Super Bowl. Uh, I was on this team that, that won a Super Bowl with Seattle. I, you know, I guess I, I, I'm appreciative of the way they allowed him to go out graciously. Uh, they didn't fire him and, and make it a whole ordeal. Uh, it seems like it was mutual and, and a conversation. Obviously, he, his age may have factored into that, but it was a situation where I expected them to let Pete coach as long as he wanted to. Richard Sherman, I think, speaking in a way that a lot of the Seahawks players were. I keep wondering about Jody Allen and Burt Cold. It just feels to me... Like there's a disconnect with the Seahawks right now that it previously existed with the Trailblazers. And it's a weird move. Like if you were the Seahawks, like wouldn't shouldn't they have done this on Monday, Stephen? Why why are we why are they doing this on Wednesday? I don't know. I it the whole Jody Allen thing makes no sense to me, John. Like, what is the reasoning for her not wanting to have Pete Carroll there anymore? Like the players obviously respect him. He's the best coach in Seattle Seahawks history. He's earned the right to kind of you know do what he wants, but Jody wants him out. Like I don't think you know the GM John Schneider. They came into Seattle together. It's not like he's pushing to get Pete Carroll out. Like I, it's just a really weird spot. And if it is Jody Allen that wants Pete Carroll out, it just doesn't make any sense to me. You know why she's so hands on with the Seahawks and then so hands off with the Blazers. Like it's just I don't know, man. It just is such a weird spot that it is. It doesn't make any sense with Jody Allen's doing here. Here's what I think. Kalen DeBoer coached a football game on Monday night. I think it would have been weird for the Seahawks to make the announcement on Monday, but I can't figure out if the Seahawks were trying to defer to the University of Washington, not wanting to overshadow the national championship game on Monday. That's why they didn't do it on Monday, why they didn't do it on Tuesday. Or is it possible that the guy that they want was coaching in the football game? Meaning, is it Jim Harbaugh? Or is it Kalen DeBoer that the Seahawks are targeting in this search? That would make a lot of sense. Um, my other thought is, John, is there any way that Jody Allen can make Chauncey Billups an advisor as well for the Blazers? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, Michael Bumpus, shocked that Pete Carroll's let go. Punch it. Shock, initially, of course. Um, you listen. And... Um, it sounded like he wanted to be here next year. It sounded like he was excited. Now, he still might be here. He might just have a different role. We'll see. But um, nothing that happened this season or after the season in this short amount of time led me to believe that Pete Carroll would not be the head coach 
for the Seattle Seahawks. Now, I looked at the coordinators and, and said there could be a change there, uh, maybe with the assistance, obviously, with personnel. You know that's going to go down. Uh, but I'm shocked, but I'm not surprised at the same time because my man is 71, 72 years old. He's been here 13, 14 years. He's accomplished everything a head coach can accomplish at one spot. There it is. Uh, Pete Carroll out in Seattle. Tomorrow's going to be an equally busy news day. I appreciate those of you who make this radio show part of your day. Tomorrow we've got what? We've got a Thursday? Oh, I'm already prepping for tomorrow's show. Uh, the bald-faced truth is not here for a long time. Just a good time.